Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. From now on, you will find the podcast and all information around every episode on Diederik.blog. So it's not thepolarizer.com anymore. It's Diederik.blog. That's where everything will live. And the name of the podcast will also change into Diederik's Beach Bar instead of the Polarizer podcast. So the name makes more sense because it explains exactly what the what you can expect from the conversation. It, uh, that's how it started, actually. The com- conversations with people in, in bars. So, And that's the general vibe I also try to bring to the show so far. So go to Dietrich.blog and find everything around the podcast on there. With that out of the way, this is episode number 35. It's a follow-up to the conversation I had with Francis Aaron, who is a rapper who is taking on the woke cult, the woke church, if you will, and his raps are tackling relevant, controversial social and cultural topics with philosophy, sociology, and psychology. And I suggest you listen to episode 34 first before listening to this one as this is a part two of a two-part conversation. But before we get started, I will tell you about our wonderful sponsors. The show is brought to you by Amazon. If you go to Dieterich.blog and you click on the podcast button in the menu, you will find a list of the show sponsors in there, and one of them is Amazon. If you use the Amazon link on that page, you will land on Amazon like you always do, and if you do your shopping there, I get a little kickback every time you place an order it doesn't change things on your end at all you pay the same amount of money and difference comes out of amazon's end so that's an easy way to support the show just do the shopping you always do on amazon just get on amazon through the link on the website and this show is also brought to you by adorama adorama is a photo and video store where professionals shop and hobbyists alike whether you're looking for a video camera or a photo camera or audio stuff, Adorama is the place to get it. Again, if you click on a link through the website, you will land on the page and all your shopping will happen the way it always happens. Just I get a little kickback. That's the only difference. And finally, the show is also brought to you by Alert. Alert is the food allergy app for travelers. If you travel to a country where you don't speak the language, this app will help you out because it'll generate an allergy card dynamically based on your personal allergies and it can do it in 44 different languages you probably don't want to travel anywhere right now but by the time everything opens you do want to travel and i always recommend people go out of your comfort zone go to a place where you don't speak the language it makes it that much more of an adventure but if you're if you have a food allergy this app will help you out it helped me out when i traveled in Thailand and Indonesia and Japan. You know, I I don't speak the languages there and I'm allergic to dairy and peanuts. I had that app with me, set it up for my personal situation and generated that flashcard that I could just show on my phone. And people got it. I'm still alive. It works. So go to alertapp.com or look for alert. That's spelled A-L-L-E-R-T. It's like a little play on words of the words allergy and alert so alert spelled with two l's if you look for that on the ios app store you will find it there and now it's time for the show hope you enjoy 
Thanks again for coming on, Francis. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I hope I get to talk to you again in the future. Um, yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. No worries. Uh, how are you doing anyway? Doing good, man. Although the country's locked down right now. Yeah, we've just gone back into... I haven't really been following the news that much, to be honest. Um, I think we they've just locked down again, or London has gone into a new tier four or something. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, they, are you in full? Are you in full lockdown then? Well, they they shut down basically everything except for the supermarkets and dry cleaners and stuff they consider base life requirements. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, all bars and stuff are closed here as well, but shops are still open where I am. But how, how have you dealt with the, the lockdown over this year? Uh, you know, just just dealt with it like everyone else, you know, just kind of doing the best you can, trying to keep positive and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know. I think just sort of weary of lockdown and talking about COVID and all the rest of it. I'm just trying to keep myself away from all of it, to be honest. But yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, probably wise, you know. It's it's you can't really influence it. So yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I yeah, I switched off. I think watching like news related stuff too a, a few months ago. So I, yeah, I just frazzled my brain with reading too much about it. So. Yeah, and it's all, um, a lot of it has gotten political too, you know, so it's it's kind of, there's a lot of uh, contradicting information out there and it's kind of hard to figure out who to really believe because people have motives other than just to get everything going again, I feel, you know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different, uh, well, all political, yeah, ideologies have been wrapped around it now and get the con- the conspiracy brigade come yeah. out and whatnot. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. And then you get others who are t- ultra anti-lockdown, which, I mean, I'm not really, um, I don't know, I don't really have any strong views on it either way. It's, I've, I've sort of just, as you were saying, just used the sort of time to work out my own stuff, really, and just get on with my own kind of, yeah, yeah. My, my own project. I've not really, um, a lot of my friends have lost their jobs and gone into furlough and all the rest of it and whatnot. That sucks, man. uh, Yeah. And, um, I I think it's a bit pointless now. The lock, the lock, it doesn't even seem like a lockdown here. People are still mooching about and doing what they always do. Really. It's not really that different apart from the bars and restaurants being closed again now. So, well, But do people also work at home uh, in the UK now or where you are now specifically? I think so. I think, I mean, I think all, I, I assume it's a bit like where you are, like the supermarkets are still open and stuff and uh, shops and whatnot. I don't really know what's going on, to be honest. Uh, I'm currently looking for like some sort of new job. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm, I, I finished my work in like in the summer and then, decided to sort of start up this music stuff, uh, slowly build it up or at least get it going. Um, it's going to be a long build up. I think we've established that so far. Yeah. But 
over the next year if we if we released like a new song every every month once at least starting January um I think by the end of next year it should should have built up like it should hopefully some sort of compound growth yeah um so that's what this month has been for me basically just preparing like the new songs and preparing like well Twitter and how to promote it and whatnot I've been quiet on Twitter for like the last month or so. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, what have you got planned for next year? I just keep doing the keep doing the podcast. I quite enjoy doing that, and you know, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation the last time too. And um, I, I have a list of people I'd like to talk to, and um, um, the more episodes you have, and the more downloads you have, the um, the larger the pool of potential guests gets. You know. Yeah. yeah. You've had some quite big guests. You've had Subi on twice, haven't you? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I yeah, had, yeah. He's, he's, his Twitter has totally blown up, hasn't it, over this year? Yeah, he went from I think like like five thousand to 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 like uh, half a million or something in in uh, yeah yeah in a year. Something like yeah, massive. Like what what we're talking about a compound growth kind of stuff. Um, but it is, it's like a full-time job, isn't it? Like, yeah. prom- like promoting a social media or promoting a podcast. You have to put in a lot of sort of, uh, time and effort and whatnot to grow more. Yeah. The one thing I need to do with my podcast is to take little clips and upload those to YouTube as well. And then, because that's what people, that's how people find podcasts. So now I just have a bunch of episodes that are more than an hour long and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for people to start listening to that and get hooked right away. So I think if you look at all the big ones like uh, Joe Rogan and basically all the big ones, they, they have like a separate channel with little clips that are like 10, 20 minutes long, but a good uh, subject so if people search for something it shows up in there and then if people yeah, find yeah. it interesting they start listening to the to the main one but you know that's also a lot of work to do and even recording this and putting this together is also a lot of work already so yeah 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 and i think you've got straight yeah, yeah structure time to do it i think they, they they would be useful yeah we like me and my the producer i work with are talking about doing like well starting our sort of podcasts we don't know what we're going to do with it really but yeah those sort of little clips five to ten minute long clips on a very specific subject that was talked about um and then a catchy sort of title that sort of tries to like usher its way in on onto this sort of youtube algorithm so it gets like recommended yeah in and among the videos and stuff but yeah it's a lot of work really isn't it like editing all these and whatnot time time just saps away that's what i feel this year has been just like time just i don't know filtering out and i guess i've achieved a fair few things like over this year like back in the summer i had had 40 followers on twitter and zero views here and there i was it was just zero everything pretty much and so we've built a little kind of thing and hopefully this next year will gradually grow it well but, yeah. i think if you if you keep up uh, quality content like that 
some it's going to be picked up by some big user at one point and then he or she tweets it out and then it gets picked up and then the snowball starts rolling i think zuby he was already kind he was already happening a little bit but then joe rogan talked about the clip he put on his twitter where he lifts the weight and he says he identifies as a woman so i now hold the women's record for uh for deadlift in the uk yeah. and he talked about it and boom you know that gets seen by um like 20 million people Millions. yeah 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 and there you go it's just like yeah one one little clip like that could could i don't know set a snowball really like going really yeah, but he he had been working um, at it for for almost like ten years before that happened. So, it's it's like that over that quote. I think it's like Michael Jordan or something. Like overnight success takes like ten years of really hard work, and uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you know it's very true. Um, uh, whenever you sit, hear these sort of overnight success stories, um, there's generally like a big long story behind it. Yeah. Um, the build up or even if it's just sort of what me and the producer have been doing just really just crafting trying to get get it to the highest quality we can or I don't know finding some sort of niche which we think we've found um, and then just doubling down on it really and sticking to the plan and then obviously if something pops up we'll reorient or redirect but yeah we'll, we'll just have to see really and Basically, you just got to keep persisting, like grinding on this on like promotion and whatnot, which I've been a bit lax with over this couple of weeks. Well, it's, been, it's the hard part, you know. It's like you, you don't only have to make good content, you also have to be a marketing person. And marketing is a whole different kind of thing than, than creating music, you know. And I'm not saying you yeah, can't yeah. be good at it at the same time, but it's, you know kind of being a guitar player and a mechanic at the same time or something it's just two different things it's, yeah yeah um i mean yeah we're, we're picking up sort of like ideas here and there uh but the yeah the marketing is it's basically just kind of right now we're throwing stuff at the wall and trying to see what sticks um what works and things that i thought maybe didn't work do work uh and then thought things that i sort of like thought might be a good idea turn out not to be but anyway yeah um i think we got to the third verse did we or what what how do you want to run this or what do you want to do well i mean if um the, i'm if if you're cool i'm i'm fine with uh, leaving the little intro we had so far uh, in there as well i mean uh yeah yeah that's cool yeah so um yeah man uh we we talked for quite a long time the last time and then we uh we both three got, hours yeah yeah we both got tired after uh after that because it was quite a you know it was it was pretty difficult stuff that we were talking about and then yeah. we also talked about some uh yeah trips you made to, to russia and stuff and you visited the gulags there and it was you know it was intense stuff and three hours of that is, is pretty tiring and then the third verse of your song we had yet to discuss which was the most difficult part of the entire song i think so yeah it's the, at least the most sort of conceptually dense part um yeah and uh i mean i've got a rough idea of like what i 
say a lot of these ideas have been bubbling around in my head for years uh, through various readings and whatnot. And then just this song probably took, I think it was a, a year that I just sort of kept adding to it here and there. Like I, I didn't, I never sat down and said, right, like write this song. Um, it was always just like little lyrics here and there that I'd come to. And then it was a slow sort of jigsaw puzzle that all just fit in. Whereas some songs I'll sit down and actually say, right, write a song like what I'm doing now on cancel culture and censorship. Um, uh, whereas this was just sort of throw, throw loads of ideas together and then really tweak and polish the rhyme schemes so that basically every syllable in the rhymes in the rhymes are like rhyming. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite a, like a long build up. I've I've generally got about like 10, 20 songs always on the go at once, just being added to, and then we'll find a topic that needs to be discussed or we think would be good to be discussed because it's maybe like popping or whatever, right? Uh, and then just focus on that. How how long but, uh, would you say you worked on this song? Like when when did you put the when did the basic idea start and when? Did it finish? I'm also I'm always fascinated by that kind of process. Yeah, it was it was about it, like probably I don't know when I started it. Like um, maybe a, a year and a half ago or something like that. Because I know I've had that second verse. That second verse had been finished for at least a year. But that second verse, like I used to use it as a verse, um, like what I call like a sort of filling verse, in which I. When, when my when the producer sends me a beat, I'll I'll have a store of verses that like let me know what the tempo is, that let me know like how to deliver um, like a, a a rap to it, a lyric to it. Um, so that verse that they began to awake goblins, blah 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 blah, um, all the way to the bit where I talk about that like, gender identity and all that. Uh, I've had that for a year in its solid final form. Um, wow. uh, the rest basically just came, like I say, in bits and bobs. It was like a jigsaw puzzle that slowly sort of uh, formed in the last year, really. And then I, I sat down just, I think, around July or August and just tweaked all the, the missing bits. Generally, if you if you look at a lot of my lyric documents, they're all, it's, all the content is is there already. What's missing is rhymes and, and, and the structure that sort of undergirds the song itself so a lot of the a lot of the lines will exist like for i don't know i'm looking at that there masculinity was deemed toxic was a, is a line in this third verse and then uh, i'll find a rhyme for it such as well like deemed i'll end the end like end the the ending rhyme will be like deemed toxic and i'll match the vowels for that so like weak logic right and then masculinity will match with masked mask their bigotry so i've got two rhyme schemes working at the same time that's pretty brilliant yeah that's but that's that's with mask their bigotry so it's at a, 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 that's the vowel rhyme scheme um it's and, and and every line is like that so obesity became body positivity that speech would be so speech would be is rhyming with obesity Became is rhyming, rhyming with restrained, and uh, body positivity is rhyming with was a probability. That's Obesity pretty. Became, I, I'm I'm always impressed by that. Like how how do you 
yeah, like how do you, how do you? Come, I guess it's the same as asking an author, like how do you write a book? You know, it's hard to explain, but um, yeah, those 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 are pretty complicated rhymes that you wouldn't, I wouldn't come up with that. <laughs> Yeah, they do. It, it's sort of the technique that evolved in rap over, uh, like, years, really. Going back to, like, the late 80s, people like Big Daddy Kane and Rakim would, were doing what was called, like, this multi-syllable rhyming. So instead of just rhyming cat with mat, with heart, with bat, or whatever, they'd take something like, um, like, snap back and rhyme the two syllables. So it wouldn't just be, like, back rhyming with with with... Uh, like hack or whatever, snap back, flat cap, Baghdad, rat pack. You know what I mean? Right. And then right, they, right. then they stack these rhymes, and it would it would basically create like either a verse or or a rhythm for a number of bars in the song. Cool. And then over the years, it just like got more and more complicated, and um, people. Like by, I think by the sort of 2010s, a lot of people were rhyming. Well, not a lot of people, but a few people were rhyming every syllable in the line, or trying to anyway. Well, so, when did you get started with uh, with uh, rapping? Like, who was your who's a big inspiration to you? But my favorite rappers are all all the cliche sort of big ones, really, like the Tupac, Jay Z, Eminem. Biggie, Nas, or DMX. I liked a lot of the older people like Slick Rick. Um, Common, I loved Kanye West's earlier stuff, and I loved, I think his his best album was that My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which had a massive sort of influence on me at the time um, when it came out. I had tons of rappers, really. Uh, the first CD I ever bought was 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying, so... I'd like that had a massive influence on me as a sort of, I think I was 13 when that came out. I remember when that came out. Um, it was 2003, so I would have been, yeah, 13. So a little, a little, little teen. But yeah, the, the big influences have all been Tupac, Eminem, Jay-Z, Nas and Biggie, I would say, which is ultra cliche. They're, they're the, the big rappers that everyone's sort of influenced by. But well, nonetheless, you know, I, think, I mean, every every most or a, a whole lot of big rock bands today say that they that they get their inspiration from Led Zeppelin you know it's a standard answer but it's a good answer yeah precisely I think there's a reason why these bands are and these artists are the most influential it's yeah. because they have the largest catalogs they had a lot to say in their sort of heyday um, and they they changed the art form in some way or other or they they left a huge imprint on it. So yeah. Um and I think as a kid when you're listening to all that, like a lot of it sticks with you. So obviously Eminem and and Jay Z like were quite complex with the way they structured rhyming and, and the way they sort of uh, layered the, the verses and whatnot. So I think I think a lot of that, a lot of the technicality, the technical aspects come from them. And then other rappers like Tech Nine and I mean, there's so many I could go on about it for days. To be honest, um, the main influence came from the battling stuff that I used to do back in my early twenties. Um, the battle stuff was very, very technical. It was based around like stacking what were called multis, and uh, yeah, so a lot of it was 
geared towards being technical. Okay. Um, so you have to basically like, diss each other, right? When you, uh, when you, uh... pretty much. Yeah. It was like, I mean, the cliche reference is eight mile. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. M&M a lo- long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the cliche reference. Um, around about like the mid 2000s battle rap switched from being on beat. So there were no beats and it, it switched to being a cappella, which basically freed up the art form and made it even more complicated. Um, and so I, ca- I, I went into it, I think 2011 or 2012. And then I was on the scene for a couple of years, something like that. And then I backed away from it. Um, due to various things that were going on in my personal life at the time. Um, but those two years were sort of like the heyday of battle rap, especially in Britain here. Well, um, how, how would a, how would a battle rap uh, event, how, how does that go? Like, do you just show up and, and you, is it, is it like uh, like an MMA fight? Would, like you have like a pair or, or is it like um, you got three of, rounds yeah. and the finale and stuff? or? The, the structure was it, it would be a cappella, so there would be no, uh, there was no beat. So you'd write for your opponent. You'd know who your opponent was going to be, uh, like a month maybe in advance, and then you do all your lots of internet online research, and then you'd write basically poetry for this other man, um, but nasty poetry, and then you'd show up on the day, like, and the, the, there'd be like a bunch of different battles going on. Um, and yeah, you deliver your three rounds. It was set into three rounds. Like sometimes they were timed. Sometimes it was, you could go on as long as you wanted. Um, and you deliver these three rounds, dissing your opponent in as sort of like, like you, you'd mix like jokes with sort of seriousness with, um, like technicality with rhythm, all sorts of stuff. It was, it was, it was quite big at the time. It's still big. Uh, now, I think in the UK here, it sort of died its death. At, I don't know about like two, three years ago, hmm. but it still sort of drags on a bit here and there. But I backed away from all that around 2015, 2014, I think. And then sort of just like, like, like I found different interests and went off and did other stuff basically. But, uh, Yeah, it was it was an interesting period in my life, at least. And it um, gave you the, the tools point. to do what you do now. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I had a lot of flaws back then as well, like in my in how I structured rhyming and whatnot. I'd I'd often rhyme a lot of gibberish, sort of nonsensical things that didn't really make sense, or things that you wouldn't say. Um, and that was one of the criticisms I used to get quite frequently. So. Like, I mean, I took all the criticisms on board over the years and then basically polished them up so that now I feel like I fused my my, my sort of reading, which came from like the philosophers like Nietzsche and Dostoevsky and, and all these writers that I love, like Camus and, and Sartre and all, and, and all of them, fused that sort of actually the requirement to say something um, with... Uh, with the technicality and the structure that, that I sort of picked up from battle rapping and, and from the people and the rappers I listened to over, well, over the years. Yeah. So it's sort of that fusion. Um, but I think Schopenhauer, the philosopher said the first rule of writing is you need to have something to say. 
um, back then, I don't think I really had anything to say. And a lot of uh, like battle rap stuff is all, all you say, all, all you're doing is basically deconstructing your opponent or trying to take apart their character, take apart their sort of behavior, their actions, their style of rapping or their, yeah, their, their persona in a sense. So it doesn't really, beyond that, it doesn't really have much uh, a say. It's it's a purely sort of negative, nihilistic sort of thing where you're trying to destroy someone or something. Right. So, so what what made made you get into this subject? What, what was the trigger for you to uh, to start writing about this uh, subject? I mean, it's it's yeah, uh, think- it's quite a you know, um, it's it's not a the only person I know out there who sort of does the same thing is Subi, but he seems to be more into the motivational stuff, and and I think yeah, you yeah. like more aggressively attack all the craziness that's going on. I think, yeah, I think that's accurate to say. Um, he, he's very much into sort of, uh, well, yeah, he's got his book, hasn't he? Um, and yeah, the motivational side. Whereas, I don't know, I'm more interested in the sort of philosophical underpinnings of it all and the history behind these movements and how they, how this stuff has risen so powerfully in the last, like, well, especially the last five years. It was always around to some extent. Um, and it's a mixture of different waves that have been going on for at least a few decades. Um, this, the sort of left-wing identitarianism was always the part of the left but many different parts of the left were never identitarians they never looked at themselves as these sort of identity categories and they were the defining characteristics and whatnot the left has always had these struggles against racism sexism, different forms of phobia etc um so i mean that's always been a feature on the left but it was never the defining characteristic the left that i knew or the left that i sort of read heavily on in my younger years was more concerned with class and more concerned with sort of like state power and how how it was structured and how it was used in in various ways they still have that to some extent but now it's set through the sort of race and gender filter the lens of race and gender and this this transformation uh, it was a transformation in, in sort of the mainstream left. I think it came around the early 2010s and we sort of saw it start to creep in, at least I did. And then by 2015, it's really blown up like massively and it's become the sort of reigning model uh, uh, on the left. Um, and it's it's taken over um, much of the, like the left wing, what they call the discourse Right. Uh, it's become the central defining characteristic of the of of what what the public, what uh, what the right wingers, and what pretty much the, all the left themselves regard as leftism. Um, there, there were warnings and there were forebodings of this stuff happening. Uh, an article was written in 2013, I think it was, by a guy called Mark Fisher. He was sort of like a one of the older school class-based Marxist types. Um, he wrote an article called Exiting the Vampire Castle. I'm sorry, um, it, it, it glitched a little bit. It was called Exiting the Vampire Castle. Okay. 
But the things he talks about in that article um, are pretty much the things I talk about in this third verse of this song. This idea that the, the propagation of guilt and and then this switch on the left towards like race and gender and sexuality being the core themes that drive that are driving all sort of leftist thought. Basically, he was like an old school class based sort of Marxist. Can you call him a Marxist? Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, I used to read quite heavily of a lot of leftist writers. I still do, but um, he 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 wrote that article, and it it was it was a very sort of accurate appraisal of what was going on at the time. He looked at ironically like figures such as Owen Jones, who had been sort of hit on by the cancel cult mob or the early days what would later become what we know now as this cancel culture. Um, obviously, at the time, it was called call-out culture. Um, Who is uh, Owen, Owen Jones? Owen Jones is uh, he's, he's like... Um, he's a writer for The Guardian, a journalist. He's quite... He's a big sort of figure on the, on the sort of British left. Um, like socialist, etc. But... Um, and he was... Back in the day, at least his early books, like Chavs was one of his early books, and also uh, a book called The Establishment, which he wrote, which went sort of viral in bookland. Um, it was an analysis of, like, his books were like an analysis of class in Britain and how the different class structures sort of, like, prioritise or what they would call privilege certain peoples and whatnot. Um, but even even Owen Jones has been sucked into this precisely the, the type of thing that Mark Fisher talked about in the essay, this obsession with race and gender and sexuality and then the, the propagation of guilt surrounding these things, the sort of patronizing um, mobs that, that I think that social media and the way social media is structured nowadays uh, has given rise to. Um, a lot of the old internet culture was massively different back in the 2000, the, the 2000s. And then this switch to sort of the Twitter format, this short little bite-sized gobbit snippet style um, kind of way of discussing issues, which is always just tiny little bits that you get from someone. And then you judge someone based on one, like 140 or whatever, 280 characters or whatever it is. Um and everyone's got their own individualized feeds. So everyone's just reading what they basically agree with. They're in their little ecosystems, in their little bubbles. Yeah, and, and, then, and then recently they added the feature that you can only allow comments from people you want to comment on. So you can have this horrible take and just shut down and just uh, turn off the comments. And it's like, yep, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's cultivated this sense of sort of stratification that the people being sort of like pushed into their little identity categories, their little tribes, their online sects. And you, you, you rarely see like this cross aisle discussion. The early internet was at least when I, when I was on it, it was all based on like bulletin boards and forums and stuff. And you go on a bit like Reddit, but even now Reddit is sort of super like, political super political and not like you go on the politics board on Reddit and it's just one mentality. It's yeah. one mentality. 
you go and you go and I, I went and posted the uh, the song on the Nietzsche subreddit, and uh, yeah, the Nietzsche subreddit ironically has been taken over by loads of sort of woke types, mm. and it's like in relation to Nietzsche, who well, I don't, I, I can't imagine Nietzsche being a fan of wokeism. Um, so yeah, um, but back in the day, it was all, it was it was this sort of like war of like you go on a forum and whatnot. And you'd have your arsenal, your armory of facts or whatever it is you wanted to go and discuss. And it was generally to do with like religion or government and whatnot. Um, And then you'd go and meet some, I don't know, some ultra like Christian evangelical and discuss the Bible with them. Or you'd go and talk to anarchists over here and then Marxists over there or conservatives and whatnot. And people used to like exchange these massive long essays basically um, and that's how it worked. Whereas, obviously, the switch around about 2010, I think 2011, lent itself to this sort of dumbed down, like minuscule snippet-based, like uh, like just just basically diving into onto someone's comments and then dunking on them, right? Um, and then blocking you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and then they implement mass block lists and all the rest of it which is telling, I think, like the types of people who use these mass block lists, I don't know, like often they're political um, and they're very, like a lot of the people are on the left. And I always think it's a reflection of how someone would govern if they were given power. They just block people hmm. or like ostracize them completely. I'm, 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 I'm against that, like in general, really. Like there's a lot of people that have come on my Twitter and whatever said, this or that about the songs and i'm not really bothered to be fair i just let them get on with it i just mute them generally right but um if they're they're persistently sort of annoying i think yeah you don't want to see some nonsense every day but have you gotten threats yet or uh i've had a few yeah a few little death threats come in on the uh on the dms but i don't know like back in the back like the battle rap stuff kind of trained me to not really care that much, at least about what a bunch of randomers on the internet said, because there's always going to be this sort of party of what well, you could call them haters. And it's just inevitable. You're going to get the crit- criticisms and you're going to get the internet. Obviously like people are behind this veil of anonymities or at least like semi anonymity. You can't like, I mean, go and talk to the person. Right. So, all you, so people are much more free to just lambast a figure or a person and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I think the the that's been sort of the growing pains of the last ten years. Really, this new structure. I, I can't stand the word structure because, like all these all these types, used it all the time. But yeah, a new a new superstructure has sort of been built. The internet, how it functions now, the the way social media is, is nothing like it was in the early two thousands. I mean, social media didn't really even exist back then, um, and it's it's categorized people into their little sects, into their little tribes, and yeah, and this has bled over into real life, into real politics, and it's basically separated the two people peoples or the multiple like little tribes that bandy about each other into massive 
massively different camps who are not talking the same language, um, which is quite evident. One side's talking about problematic discourse, structural, systemic this, and all the rest of it. And then the others are basically criticizing all that. Yeah. So they're talking different languages, at least in America and Britain. Um, I don't know what it's like in Europe. I, I would suspect it's probably somewhat similar because um, American culture just pumps itself everywhere, basically. Yeah, um, we're usually a couple of years behind uh, what what happens over there, good and bad. You know, yeah. So you start. You, it's starting to it's starting to creep creep into the discourse here a little bit too, and you know they uh, they've, yeah, they've let some I mean, people with some crazy ideas on TV, and you know, and uh, and it's a late. I mean, you're always going to. I think you're always going to have that to some extent. I just think the way the internet is. Uh, the way the internet works now with these these few sort of uh, like Facebook, Twitter um, and then a few of the other sort of blogging platforms which are sort of I would say dying now like Tumblr um, or maybe they're not maybe I'm just not wired into what's going on in them and whatnot but it's um, just I think Tumblr is like a like a hard left echo chamber kind of like 4chan is like a hard right echo chamber I guess Pretty much, yeah. I think I think that that's the sort of even though like to be fair, like 4chan, like 4chan is where a lot of these sort of libertarian leftist movements of the early two thousand and ten this is what's so ironic about 4chan, it's become this sort of it's become synonymous with these sort of Pepe the Frog white white nationalists, uh, at least sympathizing types, right. um or the nihilism that sort of exists on the right. Um Whereas it produced all the like these movements, these libertarian movements, the, the like the left wing libertarian, like anonymous came from 4chan, um, like this sort of hacktivist group that were protesting everything from Scientology to like government force and and state power and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, this switch, like 4chan, basically I think reacted to all the Tumblr echo chamber identitarian stuff which has taken over the left right. which is I, I think it's inarguable that the left is not obsessed with race gender pronouns inclusion etc all these sort of new shibboleths that well not new but yeah these ideas that have, have, have basically gained massive currency in the last 10 years especially I think because they've been co-opted by mainstream organizations such as the New York Times or the Washington Post and whatnot, and then just been pumped everywhere. Yeah, I, w I really um, wonder what happened with those newspapers. I, I remember that the New York Times used to be like a well-respected news organization and, and you could expect quality in, from there and just proper journalism. But some of the stuff I've seen on there is just, just nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like The Guardian a bit as well. I used to read The Guardian in my sort of, like, this must have been in like 2007, 2008. Um, it's massively altered, changed completely. I think just, it's this new issue, like race and gender are the sort of central defining issues of our little era here. In, in the same way, I think back in 2000, in the 2000s, sort of religion. Right. Either... I remember like that was that was a hot topic back then. Like there was, uh, it was 
It's huge, especially on the internet. Yeah. Um, like the internet sort of geared a lot of the discussion that bled over everywhere. Um, and I think like obviously 9-11 sort of sparked off that kind of stuff. And then obviously Bush was in power and he was considered like an evangelical Christian and whatnot. And then uh, obviously it was the sort of heyday of Al Qaeda and whatnot. And then the hunt for Bin Laden, et cetera. And then the rise of all this sort of uh, atheist discourse on, on uh, again, I'm using like the sort of modern discourse is a, a very sort of Foucauldian term. Um, this, I, the, this, this, well, obviously then you had new atheism as well rise around like 2006, 2007. Uh, and then it basically created these celebrities in like Richard Dawkins, Hitchens and whatnot. What is um, new, what is new atheism? It was like an, a new sort of wave of atheism that I, I guess started with, uh, Dawkins book, uh, the God delusion, or right. at least that was the, 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 um, the cardinal, like, like, uh, the cardinal event that sort of sparked off this new wave. It had been bubbling for a while. Um, the internet was awash with stuff about atheism and religion, like, and a really good article actually, uh, written by that slave star codex blogger guy, New atheism, I think it was called the godlessness that failed. The internet was awash with all these discussions about religion versus atheism. And so a lot of the sort of early intellectuals of the internet, you should read that article, yeah, New Atheism, the Godlessness that Failed. Slate Star Codex. Let's see. It's, it's a, quite a long article, so you might need to dedicate like a, a half an hour to it or whatever. But it's very interesting. Um, well, it is a big article with some stats on it. Looks yeah, like yeah. A, oh, I see those those graphs that you also... I see one of those graphs that you posted. The word yeah, usage yeah, from the New York Times. That's where I got it from. Yeah, I've got it up here, actually. Yeah. Um, he, well, in the article, he talks about how this sort of... Uh, this early internet inter argument culture, which had sort of risen with the earlier users of the internet who were generally sort of intellectual tech-savvy types who now had the chance to sort of meet up and basically argue with people all over the world about these subjects that they could never really discuss because either they might, they might be in New York and they'd just be surrounded by people who agree with them or they might be out in, I don't know, some someplace in the Midwest America who are like a heavily religious community, etc. But now people had the chance to sort of meet up and discuss all this stuff. I remember I, I was in my teens when all this stuff was going on. So I was massively heavily um, like influenced by a lot of the discussions that had happened. And people have built these sites, these, uh, these big sort of stockpiles of arguments and, all sorts. He talks about how if you needed a hit piece on a certain passage in the Bible, there'd be like 20 million pages full of sort of arguments pointing out the contradictions of, of this passage in the Bible, etc. Right. One of the big, like, it was all like, a lot of it was a reaction to Bush and the, and the perceived like creationist movement. Um, but 
by the I think by the time like it had its own celebrities like Dawkins and Hitchens and and obviously Sam Harris was one of the one of the celebrities that rose with this period. Um, Daniel Dennett uh, and others as well, like who then later some of them switched over and they felt that religion was responsible for all the like sordid things that we look at in history, racism, sexism, classism, like homophobia. They thought religion, it was a very simple explanation. Religion's to blame, basically. Right. Um, and so a lot of them switched over, he argues, to uh, basically adopting a lot of this social justice activism around 2010, 2011, and... Obviously, a lot of these people had influence over people who worked at the New York Times or or the Washington Post or wherever. And so slowly, like just as all the religious discussions had bled into the the mainstream narrative, wherever you look, whether it be the Guardian in Britain or the Times or even like the Telegraph, um, suddenly the new focus was on race, gender, sexuality, uh, etc. And the sort of the effects of discrimination related to these things. And then by 2015, you've got this huge sort of movement, which that, that graph like kind of uh, like shows quite clearly, I think just the rise in word, word usage frequency of all these terms, systemic racism, institutional racism, toxic masculinity, privilege, et cetera, cultural appropriation, microaggressions, trauma, um, like words such as discourse, problematic, social constructs, diversity, inclusion, implicit bias, etc. Just a huge spike in the early 2010s that, I don't know, like a parasite just took over everyone's mind and that became their, o- their only sort of preoccupation. Um, and now we're obviously in the sort of, I think, the, hey- the heyday of this movement. Um there's some Which, words that, that are like new, like mansplaining, toxic masculinity. If you look at those graphs, they're, those words were just invented in the last 10 years and then they just pop up and then boom. Yeah, yeah. They're there. They just massively, they rose like because the emphasis on, the emphasis switched on to from deconstructing religious idiocies or religious like dogma or religious ignorance over the ages, etc. And then the sort of elites, the intellectual elites who had grown up during this early internet argument culture, switch over to talking about race, and and this became the new, the the new bugbear. Um, and obviously, they adopted a lot of the social justice sort of uh, scholarship that had built over the over the decades, and pushed it massively everywhere. I think we it's talked amazing. about it the first time we talked. It came from, it started with uh, like the French intellectuals, right? In the, in the. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the, like, there, there is a tendency, which I do agree with some of the critics, there's a tendency to blame it on Foucault or Derrida, et cetera. I don't think that's a blame for these things. I think, like, what's happened is a lot of their language and a lot of their devices and techniques and the way they look at things became popular and slowly got adopted by more and more university departments who became influenced by people like Foucault 
Um, you read you read a, a passage from Foucault or Derrida, and you'll spot the word problematic within the first two minutes of reading it. You'll spot the word discourse. These words have like bled very much into the way we talk now, just in general. And it, and it, and it, in my view, I don't think there's any other explanation that it came from these philosophers. It's it's been a slow creep that's uh, spread its sort of wings everywhere. Um, why why is their why is their philosophy so attractive to so many people? Because I think it looks at power structures and how power functions in human society. And they they had a, they had well, Foucault had quite a lot of interesting things to say. I always find him a bit sort of a, um, I don't know, puzzling or at least, like, inconclusive. There was a famous debate, actually, happened on a Dutch TV program um, back in the, I don't know when it was, uh, Foucault versus Chomsky. Uh, so Noam Chomsky was the sort of, from the scientific empirical left, uh, and Foucault was on the left, no doubt, but more concerned with, um, well, his topics, which were power, knowledge, truth, um sexuality was one of his big topics and he was very much obsessed with what he called spatialized thinking uh, which he got from Nietzsche um, he wanted to tell history in a different way I can't remember if I talked about this last time <clears throat> his, his obsession was sorry uh, human nature and the ideal society I think I found it yeah so they discuss the, the the discussion is a bit sort of perplexing really and it doesn't really get to any sort of there's no conclusive argument it's not like um the sort of duel that you expect it to be it's just two people who have a very different perception of what human nature is Tomsky believes in a human nature he thinks human nature is a thing and that we can measure it on an empirical basis to some extent and Foucault isn't even interested in that idea what he's interested in is the idea that human nature like functions as a, a mechanism of power the idea of it right. so when we talk about human nature we're like there's always some sort of discourse which is the reigning discourse um the like the reigning idea and we talk about it a certain way because of that framing we don't ask certain questions about certain things we negate like certain viewpoints, etc. So his, his, all his philosophy is about asking these sorts of questions, like how how is the idea of human nature function? How does human nature like whose benefit does this idea work for, etc. Um, it, it it's it's a puzzling way of thinking. That's why it, it, his popularity is owing to sort of these sort of questions that never get asked which I think there's always a place for these questions to be asked. Um, of course, like certain people get hold of these ideas and then create, create the crackpot idea that um, <clears throat> there is no human nature and there is no this or that, or there is no truth. There's no idea. There's no way we can empirically measure that. Whereas Foucault didn't really say that. He was just questioning the concept. Well, but um, you, you could make the argument against the philosophy itself then you could say the idea of constructionism is also a constructed idea so yeah it's I, I kind of a flawed or or am i or am, or am i missing something 
So, yeah, it's like circular logic, really. You don't get anywhere with it. It's inconclusive, as I say. It's sort of, if, if everything is, if or pretty much everything we take for granted is a product of social construction, if we are, and, the, and, the, and, the, and this construction is through various discourses that have been going on for maybe, I don't know, centuries sometimes, um, and our ideas about things derive from these conversations that we've had over the centuries or even just the last few years or just even amongst our family or peer group. Um, and these are basically slowly built up over time. Uh, we either inherit these constructions or we are, um, or we build them amongst ourselves. Then the, that, the very idea of that itself has to be a social construction as well. So you, you've socially constructed the very idea of these socially constructed narratives. You, you know what I mean? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that so, seems to be not a good theory then because you can use the theory against itself. Yeah, precisely. And well, this is what a lot of that sort of, that wave of philosophy um, ultimately results in. Uh like Derrida's object was to sort of look at language and find out like that language actually has no like actual feasible basis. It's all based in metaphysics. It's all every, every word that we use and every word that we have, we, we, we use the word dog and it's tied. We think it's tied to a dog um, or to a concept and whatnot, but we can never get to the actual thing. It's just like this, this, this ghost, this phantom, this sort of signifier, which is like a stopgap. So his 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 charge was that all language is problematic, as he would call it, in this way. It's all based on a metaphysics. Hmm. It has no grounding. Um, and yeah, like where'd you go with that? Like, I mean, you can use it as a device for looking at certain things. Like, for instance, we look at how i don't know like the, the common charge is that for instance if i go if i go traveling somewhere in australia for instance i i would be regarded as an expat right. whereas if uh, a muslim guy from wherever pakistan goes traveling in, in australia and goes to live there he'd be regarded as an immigrant um right so this this different what they argued was this different emphasis on certain words and how these words basically are, are like, like not really in reference to anything solid, not really anything that you can actually get at, if you know what I mean. I'm not explaining this very clearly. I need to explain it to myself a bit. But um, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to suggest? Or You, you mean um, like pe people have a, have a preconceived notion of, of things based so on on something that's uh, arbitrary maybe or yeah yeah it goes um, it goes like deeper than that this is what all the sort of post-structuralist stuff uh, do. I mean it's very sort of complex I, I can't I can't uh, I can't say I understand all of it um, and I, I can't say that I've read all of the material related to it I've read Grammatology which is Derek Derrida's like first major book and I've read a load of his other stuff as well um, and I've read most of Foucault's stuff but um, I mean they're very different 
uh, with Claire and Dara there. Um, but yeah, anyway, so this stuff, uh, I think, bled into the general um, way of talking about things. Right. And we see that very clearly, like the use of certain terms really goes to these philosophers. And um, I think undergirding our values, our values, um, are a lot of these concepts which were born in this post-World War II sort of phase. Well, right. um, yeah. Well, I'm, um, I'm not as well versed in the whole subject as you, but I find, I and I don't really, well, I do know why, but when people start messing with language, that creeps me out big time. And... You know, so so when when that started happening, and when these new these neologisms, when when those things start to show up, and and if you don't necessarily take them seriously, or or even dare to ask, like, well, what's that based on? Like, who who came up with that word, or who came up with that concept? You are instantly like shut down, or put in a corner, or called all kinds of horrible names, like a bigot or, or whatever. When when that happens, that that's creepy. That's uh, it's sort of cult like, really, isn't it? And uh, yeah, like obey, join us, and if you don't, we're gonna do everything to destroy your career, try to get you cancelled, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, you're immoral, or you're cast, you're excommunicated. Yeah, sort of like what that the article I was talking about earlier, Mark Fisher's article, it, it comes from the, and what I talk about in this third verse, the desire to excommunicate, the desire to sort of condemn or vilify those who don't meet your, your morality. Well, let's they develop their own little moral system. And then those who don't meet it, and many are not going to meet it simply because you've acquired it from elite universities. Generally, you've acquired it from a peer group who are, what you would describe as what they would describe as privileged and um they they are trying to propagate like people to like propagate guilt to basically bully people into accepting their moral value system that's the way i see it anyway right um and so they'll use all manner of techniques and devices um like linguistic or whether it be psychological, et cetera, um, who make people ultimately feel bad about themselves and to bow down to their, their value system to make their values, the values for everyone. I think that's the object. It's, it's a cult like mentality. It's precisely how sort of all these like cults, like, I don't know, Scientology function. Right. Um, it's totalitarian. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It, they want to make, they want to totalize everything. They want to bring everyone into a, into the totality of their sort of little moral system. Right. And anyone outside of that is a heretic or anyone is punishable. So if I question certain ideas, um, well, just question the idea of, I think they're using the term privilege completely incorrectly. And they stripped the idea of class away from privilege and privilege now has come to be defined as things related to race, gender, and sexuality, etc. I think this is completely wrong. It's completely false. They've they've basically rendered the word 
inaccurate in every sense. The word privilege, I think I mentioned last time, is in reference to laws. It's in reference to like things that you can actually measure, like the idea of a law being in place that privileges a certain person over someone else. Right. Not all of these privileges are negative. The idea that, I don't know, that we put ramps outside hospitals for disabled people, that, like, I think in, linguistically is a privilege. It's a law passed to accommodate a certain person for a certain thing. Right. That's, that's, that's what would be described as a privilege, in a sense. Um, obviously, like you could accurately describe apartheid South Africa as a system of white privilege because it, there were laws in place that, that created favorable conditions or accommodated only white people. Right. So you could accurately describe that. If there are laws in place that do it, um, then you can call it privilege accurately, correctly. Whereas if there aren't laws... Or if your laws are vague and you're talking about structural or systemic hangovers, etc., and so on and so forth, then you really need to get specific with what these things are, because right. people are not people who may not have your elite education from your studies degree at whatever university you've gone to are not going to understand what you're talking about when you're talking about systemic power, etc. Right. Um, so and not everyone agrees. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry? No. Yeah, sorry. Go on. Finish your talk, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was finished. Sorry, I'm, oh. just, I'm just rambling basically. Um, no, no, it, yeah. it's good. Um, uh, it's it's uh, like the delay again that gets in our way, you know. Um, but, but, what, what, what I wanted to add was was um, the and not only does not everyone have the same education from that same university. A lot of people might disagree and have very good arguments against that idea, but if they want to bring it up, their the 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 reaction is to shut them down. Yeah, precisely. I think, and that happens wherever. Like, if I was arguing this, I don't know what I've just said there would be shut down pretty much instantly anywhere. I'd, or if I said it, if I posted it on Twitter, etc. It might it might gain a bit of currency with a certain uh, certain types, but it would be la roundly lambasted by people. And people wouldn't engage in the discussion, or the, like things are not up for discussion right. in their world. Like some subjects are cordoned off and and not allowed to be talked about. I've always been like I don't know like a lot of my sort of emphasis on free speech ideas came from the old left really like the Chomsky types who were always in favor of complete free speech. Yeah. I Whereas think that, you know, free, free speech. speech. Yeah. I, th I think free speech is to, is to prevent, uh, like violence from happening. And, you know, as, as long as we can talk about stuff, we don't have to beat each other up or kill each other. You know, precisely. I think that's ultimately what it's for. It's, it's the ability to, be able to meet and discuss certain things that perhaps are not comfortable for certain types of people here or there or wherever. Um, but everyone has to bow down to a certain, if everyone has to bow down to a certain moral system, um, and they, they, it's gonna, you're going to build up a bunch of repressed ideas, repressed sentiment 
which are sort of contorted and distorted. And if, then if they're going on certain comment sections on certain websites here or there, they're just going to be bombarded with their own stuff. They never subject these ideas to public scrutiny. They never let these ideas meet other ideas in combat, like, like at least that's the idea, the, 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 the theory behind free speech. And so, yeah, you basically create these splinter factions that are separated from each other, these little, like, like uh, ostracized ecosystems, echo chambers. Right. And, yeah, and ultimately it results in shock to the system because one, one side will vote a certain way, and if there's a majority in favor of that, you get Brexit, you'll get Trump, you'll get populism, etc. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's how I see it. Maybe that's wrong, or maybe it's not subtle enough. But. Well, one, one thing that disturbs me mostly about this is that it comes from universities and, and even very uh, highly highly acclaimed universities that are you know, that are just legendary and highly regarded that produce some of the biggest thinkers that, that, that have ever walked the, the planet. And now in those places they're talking about safe spaces and they're talking about, ban and they're banning people from showing up and speaking because they disagree with with what they have to say. And yeah, and that's when, when that happens, that just... Uh, that that just uh, it uh, it 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 scares me. It disgusts me, and it it in my opinion, it's exact opposite what a uh, what should be happening at universities. Like you're supposed to go there to have all your ideas challenged and all your bad ideas <clears throat> destroyed, basically, in in the in the um, arena of free thought and free speech, and you know the the only. You you should want to to have your ideas get defeated by better ideas, and the fact that the exact opposite is happening at at you know even universities like Oxford and stuff now, that's yeah, yeah. that's scary to me. I th I I think this wave is also with the sort of rollout of mass university uh, attendance. Really, the sort of corporatization of the universities—they've all become businesses. Yeah. Or at least that's what it looked like to me. And their objective is to get as many, as many people like applying to their university, etc. And so university attendance has just risen massively. And obviously tuition fees were like amped up in Britain at, at least by by like well, like three times as much as it was ten years ago. Um so these universities are all functioning like businesses now and it so happens that this stuff is quite profitable um if you're i don't know running a gender studies um degree etc you can like recruit um a bunch of people to come and study that etc and so no one's really studying i don't well, not, well loads of people are studying like heavy subjects like the stem subjects or going deep on i don't know psychology or whatever or mathematics but, or you know yeah or but now the, yeah now there's just this like rafter of i don't know like like i don't know like yeah i don't know how to describe it like just crap basically it's not science it's it's not yeah nonsense, yeah. nonsense degrees that i don't know i like yeah that 
have no utility or value ultimately. They might make you think about certain things in a certain way, um, but they're not going to, I don't know, really build you as a person in any way. Um, I think, yeah, the main problem with the universities, as far as I see, is is the sort of this corporate element, viewing the universities themselves as businesses. Maybe they have to do that to some extent, and maybe the switch to that has been, I don't know, contributed to, to what we see now with massively massive amounts more of people going to university and yeah by the way when when do we decide that everyone has to go to university i mean there's a lot of people as well i'm sorry yeah this is my view as well i like not everyone is i mean geared for for university for the environment that you sort of described there which i think should be the sort of university environment uh, where you go to put your ideas to the test and then to basically learn loads of new ideas that allow you to function uh, or allow you to whatever write or research in in what whichever field that you eventually go go towards right. but i don't know um yeah i, I mean I, it's not sustainable really ultimately because all these kids now have got like 50,000 pounds worth of debt um and now they've all emerged from the universities with this. They're pissed off, uh, and they get a degree that doesn't get them a job, or or like yeah, precisely. They're, they're in precisely the same place that someone like me would have been. Like I, I, I went to university just for like a few months, and then I dropped out because I, like I, I viewed it back in two thousand and eight as just nonsense at the time, and then went traveling. Um, so I didn't even really go to university. Uh, and yeah, they, they've completed their courses. They've got 50 grand or however much worth of debt now. And it obviously has led to a rise in neurotic worry, anxiety, etc. They've got this cloud hanging over them. They've subscribed to all the race, gender, sexuality, codswallop. They've, uh, I mean, they're in precisely the same place they would have been in had they not gone to university. With um, 50,000 in debt and they're pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. So, like, I, I mean, I don't blame the, the kids, like, really. Like, like I mean... I'd be angry too, but but at one point, don't I mean, I, I followed one course actually of, of like gender studies like I, I didn't I didn't know when I signed up for it to be honest it was um, I was an exchange student in the US for for one semester and I you know I, I did a, um, I followed a sociology class I, I just had to uh, get an X amount of credit to to yeah. uh, that would carry over to my normal um, university career college career I should say I didn't get a master's degree but I signed up for this class called gender and communication because I thought well I'm I'm studying for a business um, BA business uh, degree and this might give some interesting insight in um, how to advertise to men and women in different ways and what to pay attention to basically you know it was it was just one one course one semester kind of like you know a primer if you will uh, but it was this full on um you know hardcore 
gender study stuff. And I had to buy this book. I forget the name of it, but it was just a series of very angry essays of um, what it's like to be like a black transgender lesbian in the hood or what it's like to be... Um, I don't know, but it was it was that it was sort of that sort of stuff, or um, or a woman working on um, on an oil rig, and she was also a lesbian, I think. And there was you know there was, there was someone who who had his legs missing, and he was also um, like homosexual, and and he identified as I, I mean it was it was all that sort of stuff, and they were all very angry essays and and sto- and you know just stories about how unfair the world is to them and how horrible everything is and you know that was basically the basic course material and and then there was this um sort of it it was some sort of a play we had to attend it wasn't it wasn't a play or yeah i i guess you could call it it was called the vagina monologues all right yeah that's very famous uh yeah, and I was. Who was it? I forget, man. I I mean, I I remember yeah. going in there and watching that, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" You know, I I was like, "What what 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 am I watching?" You know, <laughs> it was it was the some of the reaction they'd say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, you know, that's 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 what a that's what a guy would say. So therefore, it's it's a patriarchal reaction, and therefore, it's invalid. I guess. When were you doing this? It was, uh, it was uh, 2011. Let's see. Let me go. Uh, okay. So, yeah, the early days. Like, the early days of, sort of the proliferation of all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's always been around, but yeah. Um, Eve Eve Ensler wrote it. The Vagina Monologues. Yeah, and it, and it's, it's basically just, just a, a monologue by different vaginas, I guess. And... I was like, at first it was kind of, I don't know, it started out, I thought it was some kind of a comedy sketch. And then then I thought, oh no, these people are actually serious about this. And then I got interested. And then at the end, I just kind of walked out like confused, like, all right, I guess people, this is what people talk about in universities over here. And and um, yeah, I failed that class because, um, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, it was weird and and i just walked out confused and disturbed i was I, I didn't really get it i didn't get the point of it and i the one thing that that i mostly took away from it was i don't think this is what we're supposed to to learn at university i thought we were here to you know to to actually learn critical thinking and you know there, there was also um I think they also had like a, like a mathematics lab, and I and I, I talked to people there, and you know talk talk about yeah. these crazy theories, and they they kind of explained that stuff to me, and and I don't know nothing about that. I don't I don't know anything about that, and I was just kind of having my mind blown by trying to understand that kind of stuff, and and that contrast between those things, I was like, you know. What, what, what's going on here you know like why why is this stuff why is this stuff also here this is weird this is nonsense and um yeah <clears throat> yeah no what, what university was that that you're at it was uh, it was in florida it was the university of west florida okay, okay. yeah right okay yeah yeah i think um 
I mean, I haven't followed, I didn't follow it so like the trajectory. I think around then was when I was doing all the battle stuff. So, or at least uh, I'd come back from abroad. So, um, well, that's the I was first. Kind of, yeah, that, that was the first time I ever, you know, got in touch with it. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And it was just kind of a funny, weird memory for a long time. And then a couple of years later, it suddenly started coming back. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen this shit kind of brewing, you know. And uh, I think, it, yeah, that, that was around then, 2010, 2011 was the sort of um, the when it proliferated, I think, uh, and started spreading out bit by bit and then got adopted by the mainstream. And by 2014, it resulted in some sort of major controversies, um, such as the Gamergate stuff, which is just, yeah, like... Yeah, what was madness. that about? I, I, never, I never really... It was like gaming journalists, and there was, there was one journalist who... Who yeah, fucked a bunch of journalists to, to to have like a good rating on their games or something? I, I, was was it, was it something like that? I think what sparked it all up, like from my uh, feeble knowledge of of it, I think it was some girl had split up with some guy, um, and they were involved in like some game blogging journal journalism or something or some internet site. Uh, I don't know the names of it, and. Uh, and then the guy, uh, the guy reacted in a sort of, um, I don't know, was it the girl? I, I can't remember. Maybe it's best to sort of uh, um, have a recap of this. Uh, yeah, there was some sort of split between these two people and then some back and forth started going on about how games had been infiltrated by feminist social justice kind of stuff. This, um, and they were like basically padding out the games with with all the ideas and that all the websites and all the uh, the forums that they go on have been overtaken with this stuff. I think it was 2014 that it happened. Uh, let's just Google quickly. It's a while since I've read anything on this kind of stuff because it's years. Yeah, Zoe, Zoe Quinn was the name of the woman who um, was involved in the controversy. Uh I think it was just like the early days of internet madness, basically. Um, and then a lot of these sorts of kids on centered around places like 4chan um, started basically abusing abusing the, uh, the woman and various other people, like quite heavily, really, with all these sorts of memes and et cetera, which they saw as a sort of a, a war, basically, um, against the stuff that was infiltrating their beloved video games. And uh, it, it was kind of like a, a crux point for the culture war stuff because it sort of led to all these alt, what would become the alt-right, inverted commas, figures, right. or the alt-light people like Milo Yiannopoulos and all the rest of them. Um, I really wasn't plugged into stuff at the time. I was sort of, I, like, I was totally not wired into it all so the stuff I've read on it since is like only in the last sort of four years. Um, but yeah, this, this stuff all the game against stuff, I think was the, uh, the foundation point of what would become this 4chan alt light, alt right slash movement. Right. Um, which later obviously had a massive influence on getting Trump in power. 
Um, I, I still don't know, really know what alt light or alt right really means or alt left. You know, it, it's it. There's like different meanings all over the place. You know. Yeah, it's become it's become one of these sort of branding terms to describe any anything that's right wing now or anything that's not like woke or whatever. You also um, got the alt left now. Like, what 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 does that mean? Like, I I you know, and. I don't think these terms have any hard and fast definition, really. They, they, they're appropriated by different groups or different movements at any time, really. Um, yeah, that's the that's dangerous, you know. Like if, if, if a word can just be used in many different ways to describe people, then... Look at the way the word fascist is used and has been used since fascism, really. Half the, half the instances of the word fascist being used doesn't describe anything that's really fascist. Like fascism is a quite unique, weird, like mixture of like war economy uh, ideas, like that were born in the First World War, mixed with like a load of what what you would describe as left wing economic policies, um, which came from the socialist element, mixed with ultra nationalism, um, mixed with this sort of mystical uh, worship of the nation. Uh, and the idea that the nation needs to be reborn. This is the key sort of fascist element, the idea that, that, that human beings who live as a sort of nation state must be reborn. So there's all these sort of paganistic kind of uh, ideas like attached to it. Um, so half the fascist like labels that you see like hurled around are just really in reference to like someone who's ultra nationalist or some, or a movement that is, pretty heavily right wing or that worship or that like looks up to the church and the state or whatever. Um, so fascism has become this, just the, the, the phrase he Orwell talked about himself, like how the word, even in the late forties, had just become to be used for anything that was even sort of slightly nationalistic in, in whatever way. And we're still with that now. So it's the same with like, Oh, right. This word, like, if you're going to talk about the alt-right, I think you're in reference to people who are like these sort of white nationalist types, the Richard Spencer, who claimed that he created that phrase, the alt-right. Um, these sorts of people who want like an ethno-state, which would just be an impossibility in in for many different reasons. Isn't that just um, like the same as like a Nazi ideology, basically, or...? Pretty much, yeah. Like it's neo-Nazism, like the new, the new sort of wave of it, really. Um, uh, but then the sort of the term, like, got like appropriated by others. So it like was being used by like Bannon, Steve Bannon, mm. who um, described every all the sort of organs that surrounded Breitbart, the news channel, as alt right. They were the alternative right that were sort of like uh, going going to battle with the elite conservative right wing the the, the republican establishment etc right. um and so this term was basically like a, a sort of a, a a satellite of anything that was opposed to the the established conservative movement um so all the tea party people were like uh like the first sort of wave of the, of of what he saw as the old right of course, in the popular press, like alt-right has now come to be, when you think of alt-right, you think of these white nationalist types or these 4chan race-obsessed types or whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what the term... There, there was an article written by Milo Yiannopoulos on the Breitbart site 
which went through all the different um what he what he saw as all the different wings of the this alt-right movement at the time i think it was like 2015 or i don't know maybe later that when he wrote it um but yeah then his obviously career imploded um with his i think it was like he mentioned something about kids or something and how kids should be able to choose to get into a relationship i think yeah, he got dropped from his book or whatever book deal or something yeah i don't know when that was it was it two or three years ago now or something but yeah, and he was quite instrumental in the rise, of the popularization of of uh, all this sort of new right wing uh, stuff, like which is geared quite, I don't know, like nihilistically, like really, it was all like everything's kind of shit, and especially the left are shit, and so just throw shit at them. Um, he, so was, he was just. I mostly saw him as. Just a just a troll, you know. Like he was just uh, poking on on social media and make making fun, yeah. and you know. And he was he was like a gay Jewish guy, conservative, married to a black guy. He was, you know, he was he was the ultimate enigma, basically. He, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he'd been propelled quite a lot, really. Like he appeared on like some British talk show like years years before. There's like this old clip of him, uh, which um, and he's nothing like what he became. Really, he's quite like reserved and and quiet and whatnot. And he hasn't got any of the flamboyancy that he sort of adopted as his persona, etc. Um, but yeah, the, the, the reactionary sort of wave happened. Like he was one of this reactionary wave to all the rise of the, the, like the identitarian leftist politics that. Um, we now, I think, started to call wokeism, um, which is not just in relation to the race stuff, but I think that all of it really, like race, gender, sexuality. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I think that movement has sort of died uh, or like really kind of been battered down in various ways. Um, and like, yeah, the, like there's... The, the mainstream hegemony is really the sort of corporate woke politics, basically. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't think I don't think people are really buying it though, because uh, all the movies that go woke, people don't don't aren't gonna see those. Yeah. Like the go woke, go broke thing seems to be pretty accurate, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's pumped out everywhere. It's got a lot of backing, hasn't it? And all these figures that have arisen and become like quite a money-spinning, very capitalistic, really. Ibram X. Kendi and these types of figures who like mm -hmm. get, I don't know, you do a 45-minute speech and you get £20,000 or $20,000, whatever. Um, like, it's ultra-capitalist. Who, who, uh, who is this person you're talking about? He, he's the guy who wrote the How to Be an Anti-Racist book, which like blew up this year oh, because right. of all the Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, anti-racism. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This new sort of doctrine, like with the, with the idea that you can't be not racist, like you have to actively take a stand against racism. You have to be an anti-racist. It's like, a, I don't know, cult-like kind of ideas and whatnot. But In my view, a lot of... 
but that, that's Sorry, a, that, that's the thing. It it sounds lovely and logical. Like, hey, you know, I'm I'm against racism. Like, I, yeah, I want to be an anti-racist too. But then you dig a little deeper, and it's this cre- creepy, you know, cold-like kind of thing. I think yeah, a lot of it really like it. I mean, and there's so many questions that you ask with regards like equity. They they use the word equity. They love this word. Consistently using it. Um, what do you mean by equity? Bringing people up to a certain level, you have to set the standard by which you raise everyone up. And and how are you going to measure? And how are you going to like like what? Where are you bringing people up to? And um, like I don't know that like to me they never seem to have any sort of actual uh, strategies for solving the problems that they've diagnosed. It all just seems to be. Here's a bunch of structural problems that we've like uh, we've identified, and we all need to feel guilty about these problems that exist. Um, it, it really reminds me of all the sort of religious kind of stuff that was going at the, on the internet back in the day. Like it was like here's a bunch of religious bigots, basically. Here's a bunch of idiots who still believe the world is. 2,000 years old or 3,000 years old or whatever, look at these ignorant fools, um, et cetera. Like, look what they've created. They've created homophobia. They've created sexism. They've created racism, et cetera. Um, and, yeah, like, there was no proposal as to how to solve the, so, the, the, the problems that uh, apparently are rife. I think the problems of racism and sexism, et cetera, like are problems and have been, but have been gradually dissipating over the last few decades um, and will continue to do so. And a lot of the anti-racist movement will no doubt take credibility that they're the ones bringing about the improvements. But I, I think these improvements are already happening, were already happening before like the emergence of these figures and yeah. will continue to happen to the point that in about 10, 15, 20 years, Talking about race or gender in the in the way that we talk about it today will just seem as weird as talking about like religion and atheism. Like seems a bit today now a bit out of touch. Um, I think the new generation will rebel against all the millennial wokeism, its Victorian obsessions, its obsessions with not being able to say certain things or not being able to hold certain views you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a this sister, or a bathphobe. Um, and I think the backlash to, to it is coming. They'll reject it. Or, or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll maybe they'll adopt it all and become ultra woke. But I think historically the new generations always reject the generations uh, concepts and ideas before them and shrug it off. So they'll uh, yeah they'll be I don't know altering their the the culture will alter again yeah. um in 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 about 10 15 years or switch or whatever but until then we've got put up with all with yeah the these conversations being these central defining conversations which are just tiring for everyone really i mean that book written by the uh the the woman i can't remember her name rene rene summer so why i'm no longer talking to uh, white people about race, etc. It just screams. That is racist. Um, That's a racist thing to say. I mean, yeah, like 
I haven't read. I haven't read the book. I've read like a synopsis of it. But the, I can't remember. It was some big book they were all reading this summer. Why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Sorry, you can see my to. Uh, no, but that that statement remember. in itself is racist. You know that. Like you're you're not talking to a group of people because of their skin color, I guess. Isn't that what we're? Oh, yeah, because they don't understand the, the historical uh, dimensions and ramifications of uh, racism, which I think is a, a falsehood. Really, like I think um, I don't know. I spent a lot of my younger years reading a, a lot of these histories of um, well, racism and on the and the struggles against like these movements that arose, whether it be from, I don't know, like the Gobernau sort of 19th century racists all the way up to Nazi race science, etc. Um, and then the the struggles of black people in America, which uh, obviously like the civil rights movement and then even like the Black Panther movement, um, uh, Huey P. Newton and some of these figures that were like quite a threat to the American establishment in the sort of late 60s, uh, 70s and, on, and onwards, and then the rise of hip-hop, obviously, which I became very interested in and be, and, and then studied quite intently, intensely. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's just the, it, it is the sort of the big, a plane going past or something. Or, yeah, yeah, someone, someone drives by on a scooter. <laughs> Yeah, it sounded like a hairdryer had just been put on. Um, but uh, yes, uh, I, I don't know. Race, gender, these are the, the, the core issues of our day. But I, I think if history is anything to go by, these issues will dampen and and sort of disappear. And, and it'll be weird to talk about these things in however many years. Well, and then we'll look back. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it creates more division. It creates more bitterness and resentment. Um, I think it makes those really, problems like, only worse, to be honest. You know. Yeah, and the, the like, there are there are like the, there's many speakers who are like quite eloquent on like that Coleman Hughes guy. I think he's like got. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased towards people who are what they'd say uh, centering reason or logic and white methods of looking at things supposedly but i think that's just i don't know that assumption is racist in itself who, who um, are you talking about now a guy called coleman hughes uh, a lot of his videos are quite interesting you should watch some of his videos yeah he's an american writer yeah i think he was writing for um or well, he's written for a few different publications and whatnot um, he's a really young guy yeah, he's only he's only, he's mid twenties, I think, or something like that. But he's become quite big in the last two years. Discussions like this always remind me that um, I've read certain things here and there, but then you don't fully like you don't fully take it all on board. Yeah, he is very young, actually, twenty four years old. Right? You can tell he's a very smart guy. If you look at his list of uh, accomplishments and credentials at twenty four years of age. Yeah, um, I think it, well, his main arguments are against the sort of, well, the rise of what we call wokeism, the sort of intersectional uh, interpretations of racism that 
exist in America. And I, I think I think you're just fair and even handed and, and logical and reasonable with with how you with with how he studies it and whatnot. He, he isn't liked by a lot of the the wokest types on Twitter. I see, I, see, I I follow some of them here and there, and they're not impressed with him in in any sort of way. They they see him as apologising for certain things or adopting the the uh, the mainstream sort of petty bourgeois liberal. Uh, outlook on stuff. Okay. But yeah. He also has um, a podcast. He's many, many big guests, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I say, he, he, he got quite big, I think, over because he just wasn't parroting the, all the usual stuff that we hear about and whatnot. Yeah. Um, all right. People have the tendency to be blinded by whatever is the big issue of the day. Uh, and the big issues of the day now are race, gender, etc. And so people get stuck into one or the other um, camps. Uh, and yeah, like it, it comes to define the entire perspective on how someone looks at the world. It comes to be the underlying um thing that needs to be addressed uh yeah, yeah it's very religious it's very it's very sort of religious in, in that regard i always think that um yeah like it i mean it's almost like we've lost god yeah. uh god dead and people need to fill the void with this new project this new um striving this new thing to suffer for like i talk about in the song really Right, which is a good segue into talking about the lyrics of the third verse. Let's dive into that yeah. because I'd like to go through that because I think that's a great part of that song. So, um, so yeah, uh, well, about the lyrics, yeah. Yeah, let's... I think we've uh, covered a lot of the, sort of the, the core concepts in the lyrics of uh, the third verse, really, especially this stuff to do with propagating guilt um, and... Yeah, as I said, this this whole the whole song was pretty much just a piecing together of the puzzle over a period of a year or whatever, uh, and then the rhyme schemes were just slowly tweaked or built or altered. Um, so yeah, a lot of the um, <clears throat> a lot of the lines are quite like heavy with rhymes. Um, so even just the first line in the third verse, at last. A creed of grievance was built, which is a reference to the sort of like the woke stuff, the creed, the grievance studies, sort of, or uh, the idea that they are based all around grievances. Um, at last, the creed of grievance was built, and his task was to breathe the feeling of guilt. Um, yeah, the propagation of guilt is the core sort of driver behind it, in my view, and the, the it's by the priest's desire to excommunicate and the pedant's desire to um, to be the first to spot an error or a mistake. So if someone says something that is not uh, quite correct politically, as they would say, then this person must atone and repent for the thing that they've said or done or whatever, or they get sacked or cancelled or axed or banned, or they ought to be boycotted, deplatformed, excluded, and they call it inclusion, um, etc. So yeah, um, 
like the the rhymes really are, are, are working like, like last task creed greed grievance feeling built guilt the whole the whole syllable all the syllables in the line are rhyming at last the creed of grievance was built and his task was to breed the feeling of guilt um to secure power to make them feel filthy the innocent must be made to feel guilty to sing a political hymn to bitterness repent for the original sin of privilege enthralled by the gospel's passion this command was installed as a moral so this whole verse is like replete with like religious references or just with religious words, original sin, um, a hymn, uh, yeah, like the gospel, the idea of the good news being brought, the passion, the passion of the, the sufferings of people, um, and yeah, and how these kind of religious sort of semi-religious ideas that we have inherited from Christianity still live on in us the values that are very much christian um and well we're still animated by by them and all our political ideologies are sort of in my view like secularizations of christianity but with an emphasis on different things um so i mean the conservative right-wing sort of uh ideas are individualistic which is very much a christian um, emphasis the idea of the individual's relation to God and the way you communicate with God through prayer, supposedly. Um, but then the left's egalitarianism again is, and their progressivism is very Christian in the sense that you are progressing towards the kingdom of heaven, the, the end of days or whatever, in which a, some sort of utopian situation will happen. Um, and that we're, you know I mean, we're working towards the equality of souls before God. All these ideas, like, are Christian, um, and then like tweaking the tweaking of them over time. The Reformation is a sort of egalitarian, uh, an attempt to introduce egalitarianism to allow the 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 the, the people um, access to. Uh, scripture so that they don't have to have it handed to them via the priests um and so that they can basically read themselves and obviously things that were happening at the time made this possible the printing press uh so yeah a lot of like these switches are driven by technology um and the new technology that arises i think a lot of the turbulence we we've seen in the last 10 years is the internet really restructuring the way politics functions and works. Um, We're still in that right now, I think. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think we're still figuring out how to um, deal with the whole social media thing. You know, it's... I remember what... I kind of remember what the world was like before social media was a big deal because, you know, I was a kid, so I don't obviously don't have have a have a full adult experience of the world back then and i'm sure many things were less easy and less good than they are now because of the lack of internet and social media and stuff but yeah i don't know it's on the one hand it's it's great that you can send someone or or reach someone anywhere in the world who you don't even know and agree on something or disagree on something but 
I don't know, the whole whole mob forming thing that came along with it, I don't think it's a good thing. And um I think it's unleashed. I, I think the mob mentality is always within us. I, I do think we are we we are predisposed to obviously hunt out our own little pack, our tribe, our our crowd. Um I don't know, it goes back to the hunter the hunter ethos really. Like we we function in packs, our friendship circle or family groups, etc. We go out on the hunt. Um cancel culture is pretty much the same sort of thing online. Um the idea that you form this little pack, they go on the hunt for wrongdoers or some meat or and they engage in like a feeding frenzy in which they all pounce on a certain person for not adhering to a certain like moral value, which they hold dear, but perhaps it's held dear by everyone. Um, And so this pylon occurs and then it attracts a crowd and then everyone just wants to be involved. Everyone just wants to like have something to say on the issue. And it happens in all quarters, really. It's not really only coming from the left, although the left has sort of really adopted it as their own method of attack. Um, I think because they're the most plugged into this online world, this sort of internet, Twitter mentality. Uh, so it seems to be coming from them the most. Um, I mean, it comes from anything. You could pick up the newspapers back in, like, I don't know, the 70s or wherever, the 80s, and it'd be the same sort of thing, them haranguing some person and whatnot, and there'd be a massive sort of pylon uh, in that regard, like, uh, yeah, and someone would be cancelled for, for whatever. So, yeah, like social media has just amplified it, put it in front of all our faces, brought out a lot of these instincts that are inherent. And um, and it made it very easy to find a tribe, to find a group of people yeah. who agree with you, even, even like no matter how crazy your ideas are there's precisely so you'll have a pylon coming from three continents you know i mean there'll be people in australia piling on and then people in europe and then people in america like on on one person who's done something or whatever um yeah and 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 the whole world will be talking about one thing um at one time so but did you see that, um, by the way, that Elon Musk tweeted something? He said something like... Uh, Bitcoin or something. No, it was... Um, he said something like uh, pronouns are... Um, I forget what it was. Oh, said, yeah, yeah. He, pronouns he, said, trust, he yeah. said, didn't he? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. And then now he... Uh, some some like anti-hate group wants him to apologize. And um, I, I don't know I don't know if that happened yet, but uh, let's see if I can find a tweet. But, um, yeah, it happened a while ago and he posted that and then it caused a lot of pronouns. It's, it's amazing. Again, like, yeah, you go on Twitter right now and Eddie, Eddie Izzard has declared his pronouns, her pronouns, supposedly. It's just nonsense. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> Within five minutes, every article or every Wikipedia page, uh, even in reference to the person, has changed its pronouns. Memory hold all remembrance of that person as 
well, the reality that they are. But um, there is a lyric, obviously, in the in in this third verse, the deranged worship of the pronoun. A strange circus did invoke now the deranged worship of the pronoun. Yeah, let's see. This command was instilled as a moral fashion, uh, and as these flagellants ravaged their health, the priesthood began to anchor itself. Yeah, this command was installed as a moral fashion, and as these flagellants ravaged their health, another a, a reference to the flagellant movement in the sort of, I think it was the 14th century, there was a movement, I think mainly it was, well, across Europe. Um, it's people, people who, who, just whip, who, who like whipped themselves, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, they they go out in public and sort of they wanted to simulate Christ's suffering, uh, so they uh, they would flat like flagellate themselves if that's the right word. Um, and it's sort of the same thing, really. A lot of with this, with the with like the rise of social media, and then and then all these kids that are bombarded with these images, uh, and they're comparing themselves on, on like an hourly basis, a minute basis to like people all over the world and seeing themselves in a negative way in a sense or that they don't match up or whatever it's right. really amplified this playground um this playground mentality now is basically contained across the entire internet for all these kids that basically just spend their entire lives scrolling through tiktok videos or instagram or wherever um and obviously develop sort of neurotic um, reactions to it all. Uh, and then kind of they're addicted to the dopamine hits that they get from just posting one little picture of themselves. And um, But then, of course, the hate pours in or like unfavorable comments and they haven't sort of built up a, a, a way to like, be resilient towards this sort of stuff. And... Yeah, um, they're subjected to all sorts of stuff like porn at a too young young age, like an ultra young age. Uh, and yeah, the internet has sort of given rise to, I don't know, a lot of the neurotic developments that are now being promoted and aiding, aided and abetted by many in the mainstream press under, under the pretext of kindness and compassion, etc. cetera. Right. Um, all this gen, all the gender infatuations that have only been around for the last like ten years, um, massive waves of young girls identifying as trans or non-binary, etc., um, and then the clapping and the cheering and the celebrating of this by the mainstream press uh, and all outlets. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it ending in any sort of positive way like i see it as a bunch of kids impressionable youngsters who adopt an ideology on the internet um bury themselves in tumblr videos and youtube stuff and then internalize this doctrine that says that they'll commit suicide if they don't transition right um so they get on testosterone etc they start altering their body to resemble that of a man um and yeah, that like the, the this this has grown massively, and we're told that it's because it's become more acceptable. Um, 
socioculturally that the reason why we're seeing this huge rise, um, if that's the case, why, why aren't, if, if being trans has become so, so like acceptable, how come we're not seeing a huge rise amongst middle-aged women? We're not, we're seeing huge rises amongst young girls. That's a good point. Like surely if it was more culturally acceptable, we, we, we would be seeing a rise in of all ages, of all those who are trans, of all those who are supposedly um, inflicted with this sense of uh, like what, what would either gender nonconformity or or whatever neurosis that uh, gives rise to it, which has like very little evidence to back it at present. Um, yeah, they don't know what it is, so they they be basically created these stop gaps, these words like gender dysphoria. Um, to describe things they don't have really any evidence pointing towards. It's based on first-hand descriptions. I could go to the doctors, describe all the uh, describe all the features of it, and probably get myself prescribed a stradiol valerate or whatever estrogen compound within a, within a few months. Like, and then, you know what I mean? It's yeah. There's I don't know. There's a lack of oversight on all this stuff, and all the schools have adopted it all. Um, everyone's rushing to show their compassion uh, surrounding this issue. Um, I don't know. It's going to, it's, I, I do, I suspect it's going to have some sort of fallout in the next 10, 15 years. All these kids who've sort of aligned themselves with it, who then realize that, yeah, they were part of a, a sort of online cult, really, and um, a push towards it. Um, Man, perhaps what, I'm wrong. Perhaps, perhaps they all all are trans, but there's too many questions uh, surrounding. You know what I mean? The uh, yeah. Man, when, when I was a kid, all we cared about was uh, Nintendo versus Sega. You know, it just seemed um, a, a little more innocent, I guess. You know, like this this is like life changing shit, and they want to. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about letting kids decide. I think I read some story. I think it was probably in the States. Pretty sure it was in the States. Twelve year old kid who is a girl who wants to be a boy or the other way around. I don't know. And I think uh his or her parents refused that. And then I think the parents got arrested or got in trouble by child protective services because they denied their their kid to take this uh, you know, life altering hormone blockers or hormones or something. And I was like, wow, I mean, is, is that really what we want, you know? And yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, you were saying something about uh, Biden, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, like, there was, I mean, just before the election, that like Biden was questioned by some woman who has a trans child and whatnot, and she wanted assertion that he was going to allow uh, the use of these drugs and whatnot, which have like, pretty much zero evidence, long-term evidence of their effects, Um uh, and whatever evidence exists suggests it really does actually damage bone density um, and also like spatial memory, how, 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 how the person sort of, um, well, how the memory works in general, these puberty blocking drugs, which generally are used off label uh, and they were for things like male prostate cancer or for chemically castrating like pedophiles. Oh my God. Uh, now we we give these drugs to children who who are 
you know what I mean? Like having some sort of neurotic and anxious breakdown uh, in relation to what they think is gender uh, dysphoria. They, this word has become, in the same sense, the young girls back when I was a kid were obsessed over anorexia or bulimia. And now the, the new replacement is dysphoria. Um, this new term, which was only sort of instituted in 2013, they used to call it gender identity disorder. Um, but of course, like they didn't want it called a disorder because they didn't want it suggested that there's anything wrong with it. Um, so it, it's become this cult fashion, which has proliferated on Tumblr and Reddit and other places, tons of places. Um, it's mixed with it's it's certainly mixed with the rise in internet culture in general um and yeah like tens of thousands of kids now believe that they can alter the, their biological functions or they can that they are not that, that they are you know what i mean a different gender though mm. so, and yeah yeah there's so much i don't know so much confusion and so much uh double think on this issue it's it's an absolute maze the gender issue itself um and the supposedly kind and compassionate people we always hear celebrating it like when eddie Izzard today comes out with pronouns or like a couple of weeks ago ellen page decides that she is going to use he they pronouns etc and there's just like millions and millions of shares like unfathomable amounts. And at the same time, they're saying that the, the people who are trans are oppressed in some way. Uh, no, this stuff has been rising over the last 10 years, especially like, and it's had massive injections of cash from like massive funding from private equity firms, things like Arcus Foundation pumped 20 million into transgender activism back in 2015. Since then, there's been loads of others as well. What this do they get out of it, though? What, what, what do they get out of it? What do they get out of it? The the sort of ego stroking of supporting great causes or, like, you know what I mean, bringing about equality, etc. these uh, leveling projects. So right. it's like any charity. What do people get out of charity, ultimately? They're giving away money. So ultimately, they're doing it like for the self-interest of feeling good about themselves that they're helping like people who need that help in whatever way. So yeah. it's like anything of that regard. Why do people in general give away money? Right. Ultimately because it would it will help them in some way, whether it be helping their like their their sense of self or giving them a sense that they are participating fruitfully in, in society and aiding some good causes or what they perceive to be good causes. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the trans issue has gone mad over the last, uh, especially over the last five years. Um, I think it's become quite busy with the power. It's gained a lot of political converts from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris to all these celebrities, obviously, Caitlyn Jenner, you've got like a, the Wachowski sisters, the directors of The Matrix, who uh, obviously were the Wachowski brothers, but now yeah. are the Wachowski sisters. So they both transition. Um, you have <coughs> like, uh, 
like models such as Munro Bergdorf, you have a plethora of journalists, pretty much all the mainstream uh, petty bourgeois type journalists are all on board with it uh, and howling about how people are oppressed, etc. Um, you have numerous politicians all over the place uh, coming out in complete support for it. Um, and there's a complete lack of oversight. Just last week, uh, there was a big court case uh, in high court in, in, in England, down in London. Um, and it was on the use of puberty blockers. And uh, it was about a, can a child consent to, can it, does a child understand the ramifications of taking what are really experimental drugs, which have no evidence of the long-term effects, um, well, very little evidence whatsoever of how it affects uh, someone neurologically in, in the long term, can they consent to, do they understand, um, like, are they, are they able to give consent, basically? And the high court, like, obviously uses what's called the Gillick competency uh, method, which, um, which uh, I, I, I don't know it fully, but it, it, it determines whether a child understands all the issues surrounding uh, the thing that they are supposedly consenting to. And they, they, they battened it down. They said, like, it's very unlikely that a child who is 15 or 14, 16 even, um, understands the effects, the long-term effects of what these drugs will eventually lead to because the puberty blockers are just the first step. They suppress puberty, and then most of the people who go on to puberty blockers will end up on cross-sex hormones, um, so they'll be pumped with the opposite sexes, uh, like, and then it's never the it's never the it's always some synthetic compound, um, and then of course some will then go on to have these surgeries that basically just they don't do it. What like you, you don't you don't transition into anything. It's an impossibility to actually trans transition. You don't become the opposite sex. You just modify certain aspects of your body to meet an image of yourself that you have at a certain time, which. Um, they say only 1% of people regret these procedures. All these studies that show regret rates are done like a year or two after. They never do a study whatsoever that, that shows 20 years after. Are these people happy with the procedures that they underwent 20 years ago? I think it would be very different if they did that. So, yeah, just, the media has jumped on board this issue. That's why it's everywhere on Twitter every day. It's uh, talked about by all major figures cultural commentators and whatnot. Uh, that's why the the sort of war between the feminists and um, and the uh, the trans activists has been magnifying and amplifying um, in, in 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 recent years. Right. So yeah, and then Sorry, uh, I could go on for days about this issue, but no, but you're you're making you're saying a lot of interesting stuff. That's why you know that's why I'm not interrupting you. And your your way of making an argument against it is to make rap songs about it. <laughs> Pretty much, I, I'll write up. Um, yeah, I'll write up what I think about an issue um, in prose, and then convert it into lyrics. Generally. Um, 
this song has a, a few references to obviously it's not about the the trans issue but the trans issue is part of it all tied into the whole gender um infatuation that, that we talk about yeah, you made another um, song uh, with that as a subject uh, about uh, <laughs> identifying as a bat i thought it was uh, yeah, yeah. that was pretty clever yeah yeah that's uh, that was the first one we put out just because um yeah uh so like there was a famous article paper written back in the, the late 70s thomas nagel uh what is it like to be a bat um and it's about consciousness i think i mentioned it last time um or maybe i did i don't know who i've mentioned these things to half the time um so yeah, like the, the song is is me trying to simplify the arguments, uh, like about that are are present, like in the whole trans discourse, supposedly if we call it that, um, and just simplify them into the core basic facts. A man cannot become a woman any more than a man can become a bat. Um, people will say that's a false equivalence. It is a false equivalence, but man and woman themselves are a false equivalence. The idea that a man can become a woman um, is it is is itself false equivalence. That's the whole point. They, a lot of the activists call this the one joke. The one joke? That, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's been around for years. This oh, I, ident- I self-identify as a book or I self-identify as an attack helicopter or I self-identify as this or blah, blah, blah. They call it the one joke. Okay. Um, it is one joke and it's one joke is generally all that's needed because you're already, you know what I mean? All it does is amplify the magnitude of the false equivalence, right. which... Um, this is what pisses all the feminists off now, like all the new wave of sort of feminists uh, that have been sort of brought back to feminism as a result of the the rise in this issue um, and the amount of media attention it has gotten over the last however long, which hasn't come from the right wing. It's mainly come from the the centrist papers that have sort of pushed this as the next great civil rights struggle, trans rights. But it, it's, it's built on falsehoods. Like <clears throat> the Gender Recognition Act in the UK has been in since 2004, um, which basically provides for anyone who would, any adult who's consents and would, would want to go through the process of uh, modifying their body to make themselves feel better about themselves in whatever way. Um, there are no, there is no illegality. They can they consistently compare it to gay rights and the struggles that gay people faced in trying to attain. Well, gay people started from a position of literal illegality. Um, that's not the same with trans. It's not it's not illegal. There is no trans equivalent of Section Twenty Eight. There never has been. What, so is, this, what is Section Twenty Eight? It was the well. It was the it was the law the law that basically made homosexual acts illegal in Britain. Okay. If you Google it, right there. <clears throat> Clause 28, the Local Government Act. Um, right there. A local authority shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting sexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. But um, yeah, no, like the 
again, that's a false equivalence in itself. Like the idea that trans rights and gay rights are tantamount. They're not. What a lot of these folks also say is, well, gender and sex are two different things. That's an argument that's made that I see a lot. Yeah, so the the idea of like well, biological sex is 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 that which you are uh, like programmed as a result of um, your your chromosomes and whatnot. Right. Um, whereas gender are all the meanings and ideas and concepts that are supposedly imposed upon the human being, like all, all the ideas of. Uh, like related to how a man or how a woman is supposed to act, their masculinity. Like you're a man, so you've you've got short hair. Um, yeah, sh- shorter than I want, want, by the way. <laughs> so, I'm losing yeah, it, man. These, these these ideas, like that, are <clears throat> purportedly uh, like born of the environment that we're in. Right. Um, so that's what they mean by gender. But even then, the term gender has been sort of obfuscated in the last, like, five years uh, and obviously has come to, like, refer primarily to I- identity right. um, and how, and how, like, how you build yourself as an image in your own mind um, and then how the external world tries to make you fit a certain mold and how you feel, like, off kilter with it, how you feel like you don't fit in. Um, and so a lot of the feminists like, uh, like will decry gender. They, they don't, they don't like all these imposed categories. They don't say like women should have to whatever, wear this or that or whatever, or etc. cetera. Um, um, and like these, these meanings are imposed from the external world and, and now a generation of young kids are believing that they're not a boy or not a girl because they don't like certain things. Like, so if they're a boy who doesn't like play, who likes playing with Barbie dolls or something, um, that must mean that they're actually a girl. They were, they're born in the wrong body. Supposedly they were, the trans types were using this phrase for years, which they've stopped using in the last few months. Um, so yeah. Um, the whole the whole trans debate is literally it's bogged down in so much crazy complexity now many people are fed a very simplified happy uh like compassionate we're showing we're putting pronouns in our bio pronouns in our email features etc um they're fed a very a very simplified version of what's going on and they don't i don't think they understand that even medical ramifications the history behind this um its rise like it, it's just come from nowhere in the last like uh 10 years especially like it 10 years no one was talking about this kind of stuff no the transgenderism existed transsexualism has existed for decades but it wasn't a pivotal cultural issue it wasn't it wasn't around in any of the same way um it's risen off the back of the rise of all these identity issues so yeah yeah. Well, well, I could go on days about this, this no, but, issue. Yeah, but, but it, it's an interesting topic, and and you know it's a very relevant topic. Um, and and you you think the next 
thing is going to happen. It's it's going to get uh, like even more far out, and then at one point it's going to implode in itself. Or I think it's already starting. To be quite frank, I see uh, there's a rise of B transitioners, which they are frantically trying to downplay. Um, these young, mainly girls who who uh, who thought they were boys due to whatever these gender in these imposed meanings supposedly um and they they sought to transform themselves into men into into boys through testosterone injections etc through mastectomy the removal of the breast uh some of them even went further and 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 had oophorectomies whereby they removed their ovaries they removed their womb oh through God. a hysterectomy they they have skin extracted from the forearm their arm and then that's used to carve a makeshift neo phallus, um, which obviously is limp and it, it it doesn't function in any way like a real penis, just as the neo vagina or or the opposite doesn't function in any way like an actual vagina. Um, so uh, a lot of young girls have gone through these procedures, uh, or some of them, um, and regret it. I have re- come to the realization the case I mentioned a minute ago was revolving around a young a young girl who got pump puberty blockers went on to the cross sex hormones had a mastectomy by the age by the age of 20 which meant she'd had her breasts removed um and her voice had changed she she speaks like a bit like a, a boy um her her face padded out in in certain ways and whatnot and then she came to the realization that perhaps she made some sort of error and um <clears throat> And wanted to reverse the transition, uh, and th- these are what no- what's known as the detransitioners. Um, so there's a lot of ethical questions surrounding this issue, which the activists are actively trying to uh, like have thrust to the side, or have people cast as bigots for questioning these sorts of things. Um, and it's also why some big names, such as J.K. Rowling or whatever, felt the need to speak out last year. Um, she she went from being part of the whole woke group uh, to being uh, being a bad uh, a villain uh, for that uh, group, right? Yeah. Well, because of this issue, yeah. Um, and I think she she was on the sort of feminist uh, wing of stuff, the liberal feminist type kind of thing. Um, but she followed some. I think she was following certain people for a while who are pretty big in the feminist movement, um, and. Uh, this issue has become sort of like a, a, a like a lightning a lightning rod or however you describe it. Um, it has attracted various people from all over the spectrum back to feminism, and it's centered like a lot of them older women who are have been shocked a bit by what's happening now in quite huge, in quite large numbers. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of kids. Um, over over like a few years, and that's just in the UK. Like you look at American figures, it's even it's even bigger. Um, and the same is happening in Europe as well, and, and various other places. And the suspicion that obviously the internet is driving a lot of these people to believe that they are not the sex that they w- were born as, and that they have. I mean, that they that they are. Right. And that they cannot change in any in any way, 
No amount of surgery will alter your sex in any way. Um, who are now modifying their bodies uh, under the pretext that they can actually become the opposite sex or can at least imitate it to some extent. So, yeah, the, 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 the issue poses so many ethical conundrums. Uh, that's why I'm mostly interested in it as well, like, because um, it's, it's, I mean, like, I have a personal, uh, like, connection to the issue, which I will talk about in, in future. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, so, like, I know someone who went through these procedures, is what I mean, um, which I'll, I'll speak quite frankly about at some point. Um, but yeah, uh, the issue has become like this massive, it's what blew up half these figures as well. Like Jordan Peterson came to prominence as a result of like rebelling against the pronoun diktat that was handed down by his university or wherever it was, or the Canadian government, Bill C-16, I think it was, was it? Yeah, I think uh, in Canada they wanted to mandate speech and he he objected to that because it's i think it's the first time in in um either like british common law or or western country where a government mandates speech and uh, it, yeah i'm not i'm not 100% sure if i get that right but i i i think i am but and he objected to that on principle because it opens the door to mandated speech in general which is dangerous which i completely agree with and yeah um it would have made it uh, it would have made it a punishable offense to not refer to someone using the pronouns um that related to their gender identity yeah um, and, and then people were saying well why, why don't you just uh, just be nice man why don't you just uh, call people what they want and then he said well that's not the point like this opens the door to mandated speech which is which can only lead to bad things and you know once once that door is open it it can and will be abused in the future it, you know yeah it will, it will be abused and, and the activists are quite like they, they they are abusive in that regard and they they do actively try to make people comply with their wishes and they have a lot of celebrity backers this idea that they have few vocal media allies is absolute cause quality um so yeah i've already listed off and a bunch of names earlier but like i mean you could go on for days um yeah like i think that was uh, it was around 2016 wasn't it that he got or 2017 i'm not sure that yeah. he sort of got big as a result of that issue um yeah there have been like sort of explosions over the years here and there it's really risen to mainstream prominence in the last sort of um especially the last three years um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's a minefield, the entire debate is, but nonetheless, I'd like, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I feel the need to talk about it. Um, one, talk about it one of the bigger moments also, I think was, um, the Chappelle special that came out, I think it was last year or two years ago, the sticks and stones once he had a, um, he had a, a, a you know, he Little also made, segment. yeah, he made jokes about it and, you know, he was very vilified and I was like, oh, you know, when, when, a when the biggest, uh, arguably the best comedian of our era is making jokes about this, maybe 
this this will will mark the start of the end of this whole thing, or at least open the door to people who criticize it with legitimate points, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't like the idea that something cannot be discussed, you know? Same, yeah. No, I think I think anything is up for discussion. Um, <clears throat> there are certain topics that need to be handled with care, for sure. of course, do you think? Uh, and, there, well, there are many topics that need to be handled with sort of, well, reason. Um, but ultimately, anything is to be discussed, um, even the most horrendous kind of stuff you could imagine. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, on the, on the trans issue, I think there's a lot of... Uh, there's just a, obviously a lot of clamping down upon speech. There's a lot of cancellation. How many women now have been sacked for like not abiding by its, its doctrinal assertions and whatnot. Um, and yeah, like the issue is going to, is going to keep, is going to continue for a while now. Um, I think there will be a, a turning, a turning of the tide at some point. Um, and a lot of the people who have allied themselves with this, what they believe to be the next great right struggle or, or what, whatever they deem it as, will realize that they've allied themselves with something that probably actually requires some questioning and some uh, like ethical oversight, which is lacking amongst many in the mainstream. Um, so, right. yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, other place other than YouTube or Twitter where you put your stuff? Because I'm pretty sure if if the video blows up, I mean, they'll, I mean, I'm sure it violates all kinds of rules, you know. I did, this is another thing the activists try to make out that the, the people questioning this movement are uh, all animated by hate. It's the complete opposite. We're animated by primarily a worry that children are removing parts of their body as a mistake that's ultimately what it boils down to um and a lot of the feminists are, are, are concerned with the encroachment of um trans rights onto like female rights etc well the um, thing the thing that really bothers me also is the the whole sports thing like letting men participate in female sports you know there's there's this yeah, infamous yeah. story of this uh, MMA fighter who's a biological um, yeah, guy. Fox. I'm sorry? Fallon Fox. Yeah, he was. he was not a very high high ranking or very good MMA fighter per se. And he went into the cage with these women who were MMA fighters for a very long time and who were very good. And he beat the absolute shit out of them because he was just way stronger. And, you know, because he, he had been on... He's he's a guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think he fractured someone's skull, and and one of the one of the women he he fought said something like, "Yeah, I've, I've been I've been a professional fighter forever. I've never been punched like that in my life. I, uh, I I I never knew I could get punched that viciously and that hard, you know." And uh, yeah, it's happening. It's happening in multiple places. I think then uh, two Maori in the weightlifting championships. Uh, in these Pacific games, it's some some games off in Oceania somewhere. Um, won the weightlifting, a man won the weightlifting championships there. 
Uh, there's a, quite a, a famous image. There's, there's tons of instances. I can't remember the name of the cyclist who has won out. Um, and more across sports in general, really, um, it, it's it's happening like across the board. I, 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 it, the arguments. There's a good site you should check out. It's called Boys Versus Girl, uh, Boys Versus Women. Uh, dot com. It's uh, quite um, enlightening. Let's see, boys versus women, male high school athletes versus female yeah. Olympians. So it, it gives the thing here. Events common to both competitions. This isn't all uh, like Olympic events. So these are tests of strength, tests of speed, basically tests of athletic prowess, physical ability. All the people being measured here are the 2016 high school boys, MBNA, MBNO. So the best boys, the best young boys in America versus Olympic level, fem- the elitist females that one could possibly imagine. This is in the, and you, there's all these little videos here. So a hundred meters, all the boys win it. And it'll even say how old they were in some of them. So some of the some of the boys are like fourteen, fifteen. Wow, the eight hundred um, meters. It's it's crazy how much difference there is. Yeah, and you know if you if you point that out, you know that that's seen as some kind of a value judgment or something, but it's it's not. It it's know. not. It's a it's like comparing a cheetah with a, a, a greyhound. Do you know what I mean? They're both quick, but the cheetah is going to win out. Right. Like, well, that's probably a bad false equivalence, but nonetheless, but, uh, yeah, your point still stands. You see, you see what I mean, though. Like, it's not like there's no denying that Olympic level female athletes are in like insanely impressive. Sure. I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, but the boys have a biological advantage in every regard, apart from when it comes to the more long distance running. So if you look at the 5,000 meters, the women win that. Uh, again, that's because of, I think, like the way a woman's lungs are oxygenated, um, it like hands itself well to long distance running more so than it does for men. Interesting. Um, don't quote me on that, but there, there are there are, a, there are quite a lot of these biological differences that, for instance, allow a woman to swim farther uh, and longer than a man. Men are men are built for rapid combat, fighting, hunting, etc., sprinting. Their bodies are geared for for these kind of things, and they, they've evolved for specific purposes over th- hundreds of thousands of years. Um, so, yeah, um, I think Emma Hilton is uh, is one of the women who like is is quite an expert on 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 these kind of things and whatnot. I don't know who puts together this site, but it's quite yeah yeah it it demonstrates just and it's not it's not merely in one field either it's it's in all athletic fields that test strength such as shot put how far you can throw somewhere it even has some the boys swept the top positions despite having heavier shots than the olympic women so the boys could throw a heavier shot put further um than the greatest women in America. Right. It's, it's, so, it's, it's, you know, even without all this data, it's, it's so weird to me that, you know, it, this is a, 
very controversial subject, actually, because it's so obvious, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my that's my position on it as well. That it has become a point of contention in mainstream discussion is more a reflection of I don't know how badly some people are educated uh, or how willing they are to um, deny reality in in pursuit of an ideology or a doctrine that they've adopted only recently. Um, so this this is well, the sports aspect is only one aspect, obviously as well. Like the, the the issue is sort of labyrinthine in its implications on so many different levels, from obviously the medical related stuff, which we talked about a bit, um, to the sports stuff, to um, just to how society functions in, 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 in various ways and, and how, like, what was it, a couple of days ago, they were talking about deleting biological sex from uh, birth certificates in general, <laughs> something like. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's, uh... that's creepy, man. Um, so the, I think there's a woman who's writing a book about it all at the moment. Her name is Helen Joyce. She she works at well. She worked at the Economist, the the, the liberal newspaper magazine. Um, so she's writing on on it all. Um, and the, the, I mean, there's quite a lot of information here, there, and everywhere. Um, yeah, uh, I've been plugged into this this debate for years now quite a while and I've seen how it's altered over the years um, along with all the other stuff as well uh, yeah but hey man well to um, we, we've been talking again for almost three hours it's, uh, yeah yeah do you want to, <laughs> and we didn't actually go through the lyrics did we but no we didn't but let's let's just look at the last verse of this song and, and kind of close out with that yeah, and then, yeah. then I have maybe one or two more shorter questions and then we can uh, wrap this up okay yeah cool um, yeah let's, let's call the last uh, the last verse of the the song so where did we get up to yeah like the priesthood has arisen this new priesthood from out of the universities and etc and yeah a rabble of activism with labor it uses quite strong language here and there but I, I think the strong language is lends itself to rap quite a bit uh, for a catechism that casts suspicion on nature well i mean you d you yeah. don't drop any f bombs in there so in that uh, in that way it's uh, and you're you're not rapping about shooting other people or something so you know compared to a lot of rap it's not that bad i'd say well that's what i thought as well but obviously this is considered a bit more controversial than someone talking about i don't know selling drugs or shooting someone or something. Um, and bitches and hoes and shooting motherfuckers. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think most of what we talked about, to be fair, is, is a reflection of the things I talk about in this verse, really, the rise of this sort of religious-like cult, uh, this rabble of activism which supports it. Um, yeah. Then the masses were tongue-tied now by a vulpine bow to turn the world upside down. So to, to turn to turn the world upside down or to alter definitions and to um, invert the values that we hold. So the idea of man and woman, uh, a man can be a woman, this new concept, really, which would be alien to 
many in the past. And I don't think we've moved to some new level of intellectual greatness. This is just an ideology that has gained power and credence amongst certain people. Um, Yeah. uh, And then all, all, all the things that have been talked about quite to death, really, but like victimhood became virtue. Uh, strength and integrity were made odious. So we're encouraging young kids sometimes to, I don't know, wallow in despair, which I've always been, I don't know, against. I like I worked with a lot of kids who were from tough backgrounds and, I mean, suffered with various issues. Um, a lot of the talk regarding mental health, I, I don't see it helping, especially for young boys, but um, I guess a whole other discussion that, I could get into for, I don't know, a long time. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this what what Nietzsche talked about with regards to the inversion of values. The Christians of the early Roman Empire basically turned all the things that they hated, uh, all the things that they wanted but didn't have, they turned into um, the embodiment of evil. So they wanted power, they wanted riches, they wanted wealth or whatever. They wanted freedom from the sort of slave condition that they felt themselves to be in. Um, and and so anyone who was powerful, successful or strong, etc., was condemned as evil uh, in the early Christian uh, like ideology. Well, or at least that's how Nietzsche... That's what you see now with uh, like masculinity is bad. Pretty much, yeah. It's a similar sort of phenomenon, I think, really. Um, and, like, I mean, it's always, it's always been around. Like, you go even to, like, um, the manifesto written by uh, the Unabomber. Um, in, I think this was 1995 it was written. Uh, have, you, have you read or heard of that or not? I, I know of it, but I haven't read into his stuff. So he, like it's very it's very well written actually in spite of his terrorist acts and whatnot um the 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 piece is uh like it, it's very interesting um uh, a lot of these a lot of these uh crazy people are usually not dumb people which is which makes yeah, it even yeah. scarier you he, know he was he was a mathematics kind of wizard as whiz, whiz as well like in his early years he was at harvard and he was younger than a lot of the people that were there um but then he obviously became alienated with the what he called the industrial system which he basically meant capitalism as like this huge technological behemoth which was just destroying the environment and the world etc um uh he has in, in in he has in the in the text like an analysis of sort of what he called leftism but um is is kind of like the sort of the seeds of what we see now with all the woke stuff Um, the obsession with race, gender, sexuality, etc. Um, but he has a very good psychological analysis of basically it comes from um, their feelings of insecurity, instability, their need to align themselves with a movement, a group, or have something to rally around, have some sort of, I don't know, flag, if you can call it that, some idea which they uh, like take up the march for social justice, the struggle against racism, et cetera. Um, and yeah, this becomes like an organizing principle. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I forget why I go on to this now. Um, 
But we were talking about yes. uh, vilification of of things that are, you know, uh, like tur- turning the wor- turning things upside down and vilifying. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in order, so in order to um, make oneself feel better um, about oneself, uh, you turn that which has you feel to have done you wrong into the embodiment of evil in some way. Um, and transform it into a hate, a hate, fi- a hate subject or a hate figure in a sense. Uh, this is what Nietzsche called. I, I'm probably going to pronounce it terribly, but resentima or resent, um, which was uh, is the French word for like resentment, but it has a different meaning. Yeah, this feeling of being inadequate in comparison to those around you and then you building a narrative for yourself which justifies your own inadequacy and it stops people from rising above their problem addressing their issues or whatever those issues are sometimes these issues are just imagined um, and prevents them from being able to confront the problems which they face in life whatever it may be like mental health issues or or physical issues or etc um and they they instead turn to hating something which is easy to attack in whatever way right um so a lot of like the a lot of the and it's a phenomenon that exists on both left and right and it's it's not like a it's not purely a left wing kind of idea you see you see the same thing from it's more like a like a weak thing i think it's a it's a it's like a psychological trait which um i I, like i i I felt it myself sometimes like when i mean when you're at a bad station in life um and you look and you're kind of jealous you're envious of how like even even sometimes with the music i get a little kick of it like why how have these crap rappers got three million views how have these people who can't even rhyme do you know what i mean something very simple how have they got that like that amount of views etc uh and so one is liable to hate the person who has got that or to reject it in some way you see the same phenomenon with people hating millionaires or multi-millionaires especially billionaires etc um and like hating anything that seems powerful or strong or successful in some way. Yeah, um, I never got I, that. You know, like when I see someone in in a strong position of um, who has a lot of money or who's driving a really nice car, my first thought generally is, "Oh, good for that guy." And my second second thought is, "How can I learn from this person? Uh, to to uh, you know, what can I do to to move myself a little closer to that?" You know. And then there's a lot of, and the easier thought is that guy has so much money. Fuck that guy. He must have yeah, done something yeah. bad to get that. Like the zero sum game philosophy. Like uh, you can only get something if you steal it in some kind of uh, nefarious way from someone else. I think yeah. Who uh, the writer Balzac said like behind every great fortune lies a great crime, supposedly. Um, yeah. And then Warren Buffet rebuked that and said that uh, there is no crime behind his own, like Berkshire Hathaway's investing company. Um, 
It's a phenomenon that existed, I think, like psychological, a psychological trait that has existed for, it's in the human condition, in, in a sense, it's really tied to the idea of envy, um, wanting that which you don't have, and resenting the people who have that which you desire, right. um, and then turning them into some sort of animal. Uh, I do think a lot of the woke stuff is driven by it, but... yeah. There's a lot of envy yeah. and resentment and, and the refusal to um, look at their own problems, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Or the refusal to address the root causes of some of these issues yeah. um, within themselves, really. Uh, we hear all this stuff about mindfulness and whatever, meditation daily uh, bombarded at people. But I don't know, a lot of the people don't really undertake any examination of their own psychology in a sense. Um, and it has to be a sort of ongoing process, really. You have to take check of yourself on a frequent daily basis sometimes, not get bogged down in over-obsessing or over-analyzing things, which someone like, I'm quite liable to do that on, on quite often, to be fair. I over-analyze like, things I've said or done, etc. Um, but sometimes you just have to, I don't know, move, move with it in a sense. Yeah. But yeah. Um, um, you know, it's a hard thing to do. And I think that's why a lot of people don't want to do it or rather, uh, you know, rather claim that they're a victim of something instead of maybe looking in the mirror and saying, maybe I'm personally doing something that I could or should be doing differently. And, Coming to that conclusion yeah, is very tough and not fun at all. It, it ultimately serves as an impediment for the, the person themselves, in my view. A lot of criticisms would come in saying that I'm individualizing uh, people too much and that the structural problems are more to blame, etc. And well, this obsession with systemic injustices. These play a part, no doubt, and, and you're the fabric of the environment that you uh, live and function in is going to affect you. Sure, um, sure. There's, there's going to. I mean, there's, there's, there's truth to that too. Like, not everyone has the same starting point. You know, that's definitely true. But I don't think, I don't believe that it's, it's, it behooves anyone to make their starting point, especially if it's not a great starting point for whatever reason to make that their entire identity, you know, like everyone, I, agree. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people, there's plenty of examples of people who started out in terrible positions who fought their way out of it and succeeded, you know, beyond the level of people who started in way better positions than they did, you know, so there's, yeah, I, I do believe that, that if, if a person is willing to try hard enough, they, they can have a shot at it. And it's not a guarantee, but I think giving it a serious try is the is your best bet, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, I, 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 see the, I see the sort of, uh, I see the rise into my own sort of uh, life, really. Uh, and 
I think the reason why I'm quite connected to that that issue of resentment and how what Nietzsche diagnosed as as the psychological traits of certain people and whatnot uh, is because I've seen it reflected in my in myself many times. I've often felt the same sort of things towards people. My mother died when I was eleven, and I, like I watched her die, and then I grew up in care, etc. Um, and my father was never around. Um, and various other things uh, happened uh, throughout my sort of childhood and teen years. Um, and obviously, you, you you develop a sort of I, I don't know an abnormal psychology as a result of these things, and you don't fit in with certain other people. Or at least I I never really did. Um, which I I mean sometimes you're bothered about, but sometimes you're not. Sometimes I'm I'm quite I don't know I'm quite like satisfied with largely like being a bit different to many of these people um uh but but sometimes that train of thought can go down a very negative path a destructive path which leads to drug abuse and alcoholism and whatnot that uh many get onto and many some don't recover or some some turn to suicide or think that suicide is the consolation or self-harm etc or changing their gender etc i do think it has the roots in these sorts of um, like what what the left always called trauma, but they never actually seem to get to the roots of their so-called trauma when they talk about it all the time. Um, and yeah, like a lot of it's to do with destructive psychological uh, frameworks, patterns, maps that aren't don't function in the correct way or don't lead the person out of the maze. They they basically just keep them trapped, going around in a circle either resenting some figure, some object of hate, whether it be the government, the state, the evil billionaires, the 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 whatever, et cetera, the, whoever their enemy are this week. Um, it, it, it prevents them from basically transforming their own situation. Uh, this is, I mean, this is my um, concept of how, th- how it works. And I've seen it work with my own sort of uh, life really um it might be it might not be applicable to everyone uh and I, I acknowledge that but nonetheless i do think ultimately it's a, a mixture of the individual and the environment the social situation for sure i um, agree with that yeah <clears throat> oh man and um Anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm running on that. I think I understand a lot better where you're coming from with all this, doing this, you know, now. I mean, like we, we talked for like six hours now, like a very yeah. intense one-on-one conversation. Like uh, how many times do you do that with anyone really? So Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, that's given me some insight into where you're coming from, even though I don't obviously don't know your whole story. And you mentioned earlier that, that the whole trans thing is... Uh, kind of a personal thing for you too because you know someone in your personal life who who also deals with that and it's a unique perspective that you have and and I think the music that you create from that I'm I'm very impressed by it you know thank yeah. you I appreciate that yeah yeah no um it's hard to like communicate sometimes I think I posted on a few forums and they instantly just think that I'm coming from a whatever right-wing conservative standpoint when i talk about these issues um uh, i don't think that's the case really um, 
I, I think with the songs are just an attempt to analyze the psychology of certain types of people or to look at an argument and try and boil it down to its core elements. Right. That's sort of my object, really. But In the previous podcast, you mentioned that you wanted to put an album out with 10 songs. And uh, do you have all the subjects already lined up or or uh, uh yeah so uh, I'm, i'm willing to take any any uh recommendations actually um i've got <laughs> wait let me just like uh I, we we've got i'm i'm working quite i've spent the last two weeks trying to finish these blooming songs um wait there let me just uh ah i'm in the wrong google drive i need to go on our joint one sorry two seconds uh, Make sure you got all that stuff also backed up somewhere outside of the Google Cloud. I've actually thought about that. Yeah, like I don't want my account to suddenly get axed or whatever. Um, that, that stuff has happened. So yeah, like I think the next song is it was going to be about censorship, uh, like the internet, the things we talked a bit about today. Really, like the the drive to cancel, um, the sort of hunting mentality that the internet has given rise to. That's the one I'm trying to finish at the moment. It's got quite a big, dancey sort of beat. Um, it'll either be called something like Wrong Think or Thought Crime, some reference to Orwell. Um, right. I'm not quite sure. I haven't got the chorus fully down yet. It might be called 2 plus 2 equals 4. Um, I mean, it just takes time. I'm trying to get the chorus perfect, like decent. Right. Um, we'll see. Um, it'll be out January, probably if not February. So we, we said monthly we'll release one song or at least one video and then maybe uh, supplementary kind of videos like, um, I don't know, talking about the issues, etc. But a lot of the things we talked about today are probably the broad pool of, of things that I'll be addressing. Um, so there'll be, I will return to the trans issue, but I don't want to return to it too soon. Right. Um, talk about the non-binary stuff, pronouns, etc. Uh, a bunch of other stuff. I wanted to do like a problematic version, but for the other side, the right-wing sort of 4chan side. That's um, that's good. That's smart. That's uh, you know, and that that's an equally big thing to make a rap about too. I would say. Yeah, yeah, they they probably hate it, but or may, maybe I don't know. But um, yeah, just look at the sort of the elements of despair and nihilism that sort of drove them into this sort of little online bubble, which ended in Pepe memes and Trumpism, etc. cetera. Um, uh, I do want to address all the, 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 the fixations on race a bit deeper, um, talking about privilege and some of the arguments that exist in, in some of these, um, like, well, what's going on, what's been going on for the last, yeah year with the protests and stuff i want to address issues surrounding mental health that we just talked about a minute ago um and then like a philosophical history of wokeism so where i see it sort of originating from like starting with sort of nietzsche and then it gets picked up by Foucault and derrida who are massively inspired by nietzsche and then it sort of branches out to the things james Lindsay talks about like critical social justice uh Fields, post-colonialism, race, gender, etc. All these different uh, disciplines, and then 
political extremism, left wing, right wing, Islamism will be another topic, I think. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to those songs, man. It's going to be uh, one heck of an album when it's done, I'm sure. And, Hopefully, yeah. And the beats are good, and the, the production value of the videos are, are great, too. I don't know, do, do you make those yourself as well? or? Yeah, yeah, I do all the editing myself. They'll progressively get a bit better each one, I think, just because I started not really knowing much about the program, but just slowly worked it out. So they'll, they'll get better as they go. Are you using Adobe After Effects or something? After, yeah, After Effects. So I was a complete newbie to it when I first sort of sat down and tried to edit a video up. But I, I don't know, developed, just just watched a few videos and then just got, I mean, a, a little style together. Cool. Um, and I think they'll, they'll slowly get a bit better. There'll be more animations and flicker kind of like things happening and et cetera. I'll find other ways to do stuff. Cool. So, I'm yeah. digging it. I'm digging it. I like it. Right. Well, cool. um, thank you. Anyway. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's been good to chat these two times. Well, keep yeah. doing what you're doing, man. I uh, I like it. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, um, cool. Where, where can people find you? How can people find your music and follow you on social media and stuff? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm Francis Air, at Francis Air in UK. Um, that's my Twitter. Uh, most of like YouTube is the same. So if you just type in Francis Aaron, double A R O N, um, you'll, uh, yeah, you'll find me in that way. Um, I will have a website up, but this is another project that I'm trying to finish off, get a website up for January, which will serve as a blog, as sort of a, a port of call, really, where all my all my writings etc which i've got a lot that i need to post which i don't really put on twitter at the moment because i wanted them to go on blogs uh, so yeah I'll, I'll have a website up pretty soon um hopefully before the next song gets released uh so yeah i'll put a lot of lyric breakdowns and stuff like that very cool well, I'll, I'll be sure to put links to everything in the show notes and on, uh, on the yeah, podcast definitely. website Francis, thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Chat to you. Yeah, it was, was yeah, a, like that. It was a great deep conversation, and uh, I hope we uh, yeah, yeah. get to do it again in the future, man. Yeah, yeah, some point in the near future, we'll have to meet up and chat about whatever else has been going on. Maybe we can uh, do it in person sometime, man. That'd be great. That's still that my favorite way to do it. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll definitely be up for that. Cool. But yeah, cool. Right. Oh, thanks Have again. Have a great Christmas and New Year. And, uh, yeah, I'll chat to you on Twitter at some point. Yes, sir. Thanks, everybody, yeah. for listening. Goodbye. All right. Right, yeah. <laughs> all right, it was another good one, eh? Go to Diederik.blog to find all the show notes there. And you can also find a link to all our sponsors on that page. That's Diederik.blog. That's spelled D-I-E-D-E. R-I-K dot blog you can find everything there and also check out Francis Aaron you spell his name F-R-A-N-C-I-S A-A-R-O-N if you look for him on YouTube you will find his videos check out his stuff, it's awesome I'm uh, I'm a big fan, that's uh, why I invited him on the show in the first place I heard his song and I was like oh, we gotta listen to this guy it's good, he's good and um, this conversation proved 
that he knows a lot of stuff and he has a, there's a lot of depth behind those songs. So check out his music. It's great. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. I'll see you in the next one. Tot ziens.